Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to the Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Bald Face Truth. BFFT. From the Pack West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Kanzano with the Bald Face Truth. Well, Dan Lanning has recommitted to the University of Oregon, made his commitment video released this morning at 9 a.m. I think he was a little irritated last night with all the discussion, the talk about Feluso. What's going on with that? What is going on? Eugene television station, KVAL, KVAL, Dan Lanning is likely in Tuscaloosa. If you don't know, don't say that you know. It's okay not to know. I didn't know where Dan Lanning was last night. I had been in communication with him yesterday. Yesterday morning, 9.14 in the morning, Dan Lanning texted me. I'll call you in a few minutes. Never called. I didn't know where he was. He could be in Tuscaloosa. He could be in Tualatin. Don't report that you know something if you don't know something. Let's start with that as a premise. Lanning recommitting today to the University of Oregon, doubling, tripling down, say what you will. He'll join us today at 4.20 in the 4 o'clock hour. He'll be with us. I've got questions for him. Did he drag this out? Is there some theater here? Is it good to be wanted? Is he marketing? Is uh, is he weary with people not believing that he's all in? Does he understand? Like, Because if you're an Oregon fan, if you're a diehard Oregon fan, or even if you're not, if you're just somebody in the state of Oregon who has watched football coaches come and go, what, what did you see just uh, just uh, you know a month ago? Jonathan Smith leaves his alma mater, goes to Goodwill on his way out of town, and drops his gear, his Beavers gear, and heads off to East Lansing, Michigan. Like, you saw a guy that you probably hoped or maybe thought could never leave his alma mater, leave his alma mater. Coaches do this all the time. I had a good friend call me today and say, the minute a coach says, I'm not going, I go, uh-oh, he's gone. Like, I don't blame you. We've been conditioned to do that with coaches. Mario Cristobal leaves Oregon for Miami. Made sense going home, going back to his alma mater, was calling his name, his mother, all of that stuff, his brother being a uh, police officer in Miami. Like, it makes sense. Mario Cristobal wanted to go home. Willie Taggart leaves Oregon, turns his back on Oregon, ditches out for Tallahassee. Makes sense. Getting back to Florida as well. Chip Kelly goes to the NFL. It makes sense. Like, hey, it was he had done what he thought he could do at Oregon, got to a national championship game, set up Oregon for another national championship game, and decided to go to the NFL. It made sense. But if you're an Oregon fan or you're an Oregonian or somebody in the Pacific Northwest, Southwest Washington, you're just kind of used to seeing this. This is what football coaches do. They come to town. They get a job. They make millions of dollars. They win some football games, and they become a flight risk. And so Dan Lanning now three times in his tenure at Oregon, three times in two years, he has had to go public with a statement. Auburn, there were rumors very early in year one that he's going to go to Auburn. He's going to take that job. I can remember there was a uh, 
a report out that Dan Lanning was a target of Auburn, and I reached out to him during that first season. I said, do you want to uh, comment on this? And he said, you know, you can shoot it down. It's not happening. I subsequently spoke with Dan Lanning when he got his contract extension at the end of year one. The summer after his first season, Rob Mullins, the athletic director at Oregon, decided to extend Dan Lanning's contract. I got on the phone with Lanning that summer day, and he said to me, um, you know, this allows me to stay. It allows my family to get rooted in Eugene. See, his wife Sophia and his kids, they have been bounced around the country while Dan Lanning is coaching different football teams at Arizona State and Alabama and Georgia, among other places, uh, eight different places one of his, his oldest son has lived. And so it's kind of been their family mission, and I don't think this is any secret, that Sophia and Dan Lanning would like their kids, their three sons, to graduate from the same high school. Like he has said that. And so I think it's interesting to kind of watch as the Texas A&M rumor surfaces just uh, earlier this season in November and Dan Lanning has to come out and has to talk again about his commitment to Oregon and how he's rooted and then here comes the Alabama job and he has to come out uh, you know despite reports that he's in Tuscaloosa has to come out and say I'm not in Tuscaloosa I'm actually in Eugene Oregon and you know the University of Oregon this morning putting out on their Instagram the Oregon football Instagram page, a, a screenshot of Dan Lanning's Find My Friends to show that he's in Eugene. It's kind of absurd. But I understand you, Duck fan, if you're anxious. I also kind of wonder why he let it drag out overnight. I'll ask him about that when he joins at 420. Why not just come out in the middle of the night and uh, just be like, hey, I'm not going anywhere? Is there a marketing advantage there? Is there a recruiting advantage there to Dan Lanning? Or was he just so sick of it that he put his phone down and didn't want to deal with it and thought he'd get it in the morning? Uh, I've been in communication with Alabama Athletic Director Greg Byrne last night. Uh, I didn't glean any information from our exchange. Just sort of, you know, told him, hey, I, I know that uh, you probably were prepared for this and, you know, good luck to you. And he, uh, you know, is going to come forth with a decision uh, as to who they're going to hire here, and I expect that to happen today or tomorrow. I think Alabama will make a decision. Will it be Kalen DeBoer? Will it be Mike Norvell? Will it be someone else? Will it be Lane Kiffin? Um, you know, as this develops, the story develops, we will uh, get some news on that front. Meanwhile, people in Seattle nervous, anxious today, because why? They're worried about DeBoer going to Alabama and losing all momentum, not just Michael Penix Jr. leaving, but head coach Kalen DeBoer possibly leaving and going to Alabama. And what would that mean to Huskies fans? And, you know, I, I can't help but think, like, Huskies fans are already reeling because Pete Carroll got fired yesterday. Pete Carroll out at Seattle as the Seahawks coach after 14 seasons. And, you know, Anna pointed this out to me yesterday. She was sort of commenting on Pete Carroll's news conference yesterday and saying, gosh, you know, here's this 72-year-old guy who is the greatest coach in franchise history. And, you know, the Seattle Seahawks, Jody Allen, Burt Cold, whoever is making the decisions with the Seahawks, not only push him out the door, they leave the guy who is, like, the undisputed best coach that the Seahawks have ever had. They leave that guy crying at the news conference. I've been blessed with, like, the rarest of best friends and uh, mentor um, loving partner, 
the angel in my life. <laughs> this is worth crying for. <laughs> uh, nobody would ever understand how significant She's been through all of the stuff that we've been through and uh, how important she is as, a, as she's just been the angel in my life and uh, I owe you everything. There's Pete Carroll crying at his news conference yesterday. It sort of shows you the cutthroat nature of the job. You take the Seahawks to a Super Bowl, 10 winning seasons in 14 years. You uh, take them to two Super Bowls. You win one. Nobody's ever done that won a Super Bowl as a head coach in Seattle, and in the end, you're 72, you're saying you have the energy, you're saying you can do this another year, and ownership or the trustee, Jody Allen, who uh, I don't think is a very good person, uh, ends up just kind of putting a foot on your back and shoving you out the door, and then, you know, here you are crying at the news conference. It's a cutthroat business, and maybe it's why we apologize or we make apologies for coaches who end up being disloyal and maybe it's why we expect them to be disloyal because we know they're not really going to find loyalty from their employer and so dan lanning had he left for alabama or some other job i think a lot of people would have been upset but i think a lot of other people would have said in the end like they did with mario cristobal like we did with willie taggart like we did with chip kelly like we do with jonathan smith ultimately but we would have said oh it's business it's not personal should it be personal? I'll ask Dan Lanning that coming up in the 4 o'clock hour. Adam Jude, Seattle Times, will be joining us in about 20 minutes. Uh, for now, I want to take some phone calls. What was your reaction? Do you think Landing handled it correctly? Who should Alabama hire? 503-417-7575. Let's start in Canby. Chuck in Canby. How you doing, Chuck? Hey, John. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Uh, tying into all this. I was wondering today, what do you think Jonathan Smith is thinking? Because i got to think he would be on the radar for Alabama had he currently still been in Oregon State. His offense fits, his defense fits. He's a builder. Not that they need to be rebuilt, but he seemed like a good fit. I don't know if Mike Riley still has ties there because obviously we know he played there. But I just wanted to get your thoughts on that. That crossed my mind today, thinking yeah. that would be a much better opportunity than Michigan State. Yeah, and when, right, so. when, when Jonathan Smith left for Michigan State, I had that same thought. People were asking me, what did I think? Would he take that job? It was open, obviously, for much of the season because of the Mel Tucker mess. Jake Dickert was rumored for it. Jonathan Smith was rumored for it. And I said, I, I, gosh, I think he could do better. I think he could do better than a number six, number seven, number eight, at best job in the Big Ten Conference. The new Big Ten, Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, Wisconsin, Oregon, Washington, USC, where does Michigan State fit in there? And so I do think that the SEC and that Alabama job, yeah, it's a way better job if Jonathan Smith had waited. I don't know if he would have got it, but Greg Byrne, the athletic director at Alabama, he's got ties to the Pacific Northwest, worked at Oregon State, worked at Oregon. His father, Bill, was the athletic director at Oregon. Uh, Greg Byrne knows the Pac-12, and that's why I think the Kalen DeBoer thing becomes interesting. He knows it. He's paid attention to it. He knows football. It could become uh, an interesting job. Now, I, I got on the phone with a number of coaches, Power Four Conference coaches, so to speak, this morning. And I asked them about Nick Saban and Dan Lanning. Because while we were waiting for Dan Lanning to make his announcement at 9, I did get tipped off that the, 
there was going to be an announcement at 9. I didn't know what it was going to be, but I knew that there would be an announcement. As I'm calling around, I had one Power Four Conference coach tell me that the reason why Nick Saban's leaving Alabama is because Nick Saban knows he no longer has the undisputed better team. He has lost the advantage that Alabama offered him. I found that interesting. And in, our, in the context of our conversation yesterday, as we were talking about Oregon football and how good a job it is, when you have an NIL collective that's got a blank check and somebody like Phil Knight involved, you have an inherent advantage in today's world. Alabama has operated for years with better players, better recruiting base. We are now seeing some schools like Oregon who are recruiting on a level that doesn't leave Alabama with the undisputed best team. So I think Nick Saban probably smart. What do you think? Let's go to Mark, who's in Portland. Mark, welcome to the conversation. Hey, how you doing? Uh, I just had a question for you guys. You know, all we've been attacked uh, as Oregon uh, has been for you know not making the morally right decision to stay in the Pac-2. Had they stayed, stayed and tried to keep the Pac-2 together, do you think Dan Lanning wouldn't have jumped to Alabama like uh, Jonathan Smith jumped to Michigan State? Mm. Oregon made the right decision for its program and did the right thing going to the Big Ten. It looks to me like we're going to be in, have two super conferences with the SEC and the Big Ten. And Dan Lanning is, is, you know, there's other reasons he's staying at Oregon, but that's a big reason he's staying is because Oregon made that move to the Big Ten. They took the lifeline, John, and it's, uh, it's just obvious to me. It was, now it's, we, we could see it was the right move for them, for their yeah, school. And it's interesting, too, because the tr- if you're a trustee, Mark, if I make you a trustee at Oregon, your duty is to do what's in the best interest of Oregon, even though in your heart you grew up, you know, as a Pac-12 fan, probably would go, gosh, this sucks. You ultimately have to make a decision that's in the best interest of Oregon, and you can't th- you're not supposed to be thinking, what is this good for Oregon State? Is this good for Washington State? Is this good for Arizona? You have to be thinking in Oregon, and I think Oregon trusts the trustees at Oregon, and I've talked to a couple of them operated that way they said hey this is the best move for oregon i i think dan lanning gives uh yeah, right it's obvious to me john that he might be the most sought after coach in the country right now you could argue that and he's he wants to stay at oregon and you know i if i was in, in front of dan lanning right now i think i'd be on the ground bowing at his feet because i'm i'm excited i mean he we got somebody who's a great coach that wants to stay here and and you know, help us achieve what I mean, this this is a dream to me, following Oregon in the 70s and 80s, watching them now with top recruiting classes, going to the Big Ten, competing against Ohio State, Michigan. It's it's exciting for me. You know how much I'm into the playoffs. I and do you know that. Start, tomorrow you need to start talking about the NFL. So uh, we got the NFL playoffs coming. So I, I just can't wait for college to have that. And it's it's awesome that we got a coach that, that believes in the Ducks and, and wants to be our leader. It's, there you it's go. Great. And look, he's coming on the show at 420. Uh, I'm going to ask him a number of questions, including, you know, one of the questions I want to ask him is, you know, compare the facilities, compare the NIL money at Oregon versus an SEC school like Alabama. Do you have everything at Oregon that you need to compete against any school in the SEC? Meaning, like, has the calculus changed so much in college football that Oregon is as good a job as Alabama. I'm just I'd I'd like to hear that from him because that's kind of what he's indicating by in the move that he made today and the stance that he's taken. 
We're going to go to Vancouver. Sean's in Vancouver. Sean, go ahead. Hey, uh, so, um, you know, fans are going to fan, so you can't really blame Oregon for panicking a little bit because I actually agree with the last guy. Dan Lanning is going to be, you know, a top pick in any, for anywhere. I mean, he maybe even have gotten phone calls from NFL uh, teams. But, you know, Dan Lanning, it is a business. You got that right. And Dan Lanning's got to do what's best for him and his family. And I think he took a look at it. And what does Alabama expect to do next year and for the next five years? National championship. End of story, right? That's the only successful season. Dan Lanning's had a successful season if he makes the playoff in his current situation. Now, you know, that will increase. It'll become more difficult as years goes on. But right now, he makes the playoffs next year. We had a successful season. Year after that, deep into the playoffs, had a successful season. Alabama only accepts national championships. You know, yeah. except from Nick Saban. And, you know, the next guy that I see there, you know, maybe want to look at Bill O'Brien. Mm-hmm. Yep. Let me ask you this. I mean, like, a great point by the caller. I had compared it yesterday to being Frank Sinatra Jr. You're following Nick Saban. I had a longtime booster at the University of Oregon tell me that it was akin to following Tiger Woods to the first tee. Nick Saban won 292 games at Alabama. Six national titles there, four Heisman winners, 123 players in the draft. Are you a sucker? Like, what sucker wants to follow that? Hey, uh, by the way, uh, you know you're going to do a stand-up comedy routine, and uh, you're in you're in season two of uh, of your comedy experience, and uh, Dave Chappelle's opening for you. You want to go after him? I mean, that's like you know Dan Lanning's a good coach, but there's no win there. The expectations are not achievable there. Cam is in Eugene, listening on Fox Sports Eugene. Cam, go ahead. Hey, welcome back, John. Uh, glad you made it back okay after the airplane fiasco. Amen. I kind of a, I don't know, it just came to me this morning while I was having coffee. Pete Carroll should be hmm. the new head coach at Alabama. He's one of one. He's, there's no job that's too big for him. He doesn't have a half a dozen national titles, but he does have a Super Bowl to go with the national title that he does have. And when he rides off into the sunset and retires, and by the way, he's hungry right now after what happened in Seattle. So he wants to go to work, and he's kind of an easy-to-get-along-with guy. I think he could fit in most anywhere. But when he rides off into the sunset and retirement in two or three seasons after he's you know, got it out of his system after the bad ending in Seattle – He's going to leave them with an opportunity to then hire somebody new who's not going to have to follow Nick Saban. Yeah, and look, I, it's interesting with Pete Carroll because I've thought, what if, you know, Kalen DeBoer does go to Alabama? Is it nuts to think that Pete Carroll could end up at Washington? Like, Stephen, Pete Carroll to Washington? How about that? I mean, it sounds great. I, I think, you know, I think Pete Carroll can still coach. I think he's proved that in Seattle the last couple of years, but. What the the one thing I worry about with these older coaches is we've seen now numerous coaches in the college game basically say it's a different ball game and and it's a lot more work and it's a lot more you know headaches of having to deal with outside enterprises whether it's an agent or collectives and it's just not the same anymore so that's the one thing Pete Carroll's been out of the college game for so long it's going to be a brand new ball game that he would go into in the college game but I mean I. I I think he'd be successful just because it is Pete Carroll, and I think he's a really good coach. I think he's successful wherever he goes, but I think it could wear him down even quicker uh, when having his age already as, as high as it is. Maybe maybe a little too, too much for him. 
here's the thing. You need a coach who's a good coach who can recruit. You need an NIL arm to your university that is worth a damn. If you don't have those two things, you're in trouble. And 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 the movers and shakers in college football have seen this, you know, coming. And yet Oregon's great evidence of this. I mean, Oregon's decision to hire Willie Taggart was rooted in recruiting. And Mario Cristobal rooted in recruiting. And Dan Landing rooted in recruiting. And you could see the formula at Oregon. They said, hey, we got Division Street. NIL's coming. Let's get a great recruiter. Let's marry him to a uh, a uh, collective that's got deep pockets. Um, and then we'll figure out how to coach him up at the end of them. We'll, we'll try to hope that we have the better players, and that's why we're winning games. And and that's where Oregon is. Can Pete Carroll and could Washington do that? Uh, you know, I'd have to know more from the Huskies. Let's go to Reese in Lake Oswego. Reese, welcome. Hey, John Boy. Real quick, I, I've got a couple points. I, I think that the advent of NIL is bringing parity to the sport because there's just a, a massive uh, amount of money out there and now it's distributed differently. Um, and you're seeing the effects of that in the old guard, you know, Jay Wright, Coach K retiring at the top of their game, now Nick Saban leaving at the top of his game. I, I, I just think that overall these college coaches are, you know, re- looking at the calculus and, and realizing that this is, this is a different sport now, this is a different industry now. You even hear it with Dana Altman um, and kind of his, some of his musings postseason last year going into this year. Um, overall, it's, it's just very different um, and it's a young man's game now. I do That's think it's funny. very interesting. I got some Beaver friends who've been talking to me this morning. Like, man, you guys are selling, celebrating this thing like it's a, like it's a natty. It's like you know what? If you had four coaches leave you in a span of eleven years, I think you'd be celebrating this morning too. Yeah, um, it's, yeah. I, I, I put it. I told it to a friend. They were asking me why are the, why are the Oregon fans freaking out? And I said, you know, Oregon Oregon fan had his house burned down a couple of times, and so when people start lighting cigarettes nearby uh, i don't blame the oregon fans for getting a little antsy uh one power four conference coach it's interesting that the caller said you know it's a young man's game one power four conference coach and i were texting today and i said it's a young man's game it's not the same job it's a good time for nick saban to ride off this coach came back and said this is really interesting quote nil has been around for a long time in certain conferences now it's national End quote. Game changer. Leave it here. We're going to Seattle next. Adam Jude of the Seattle Times. We're going to take the temperature on the Seahawks, take the temperature on the Huskies. Dan Landing coming up at 420. you got to be here. That's it for now. And uh, I'm freaking jacked. I'm fired up. I'm not tired. I'm not worn down. Uh, you, you guys tried your best. You didn't wear me out. I'm, you know, it's the end of the season. I'm supposed to be, you know, go lay on a cot somewhere. I ain't feeling like that. And, uh, um, you know, there's what's coming. I don't know. I got no idea. And I really don't care right now. But uh, I do. Um, I'm excited about it because there's a lot to learn. There's a lot to study. Uh, there's a uh, there's some great discoveries that are going to come our way. And as my, my all time mentor, Bud Grant, said, not in so many words, uh, there's there's rivers to wade. Uh, there's waves to catch and there's mountains to hike. And uh it wasn't exactly how Bud said it, but uh, I get it. And uh, that's some cool stuff that we're going to do here. Um, and uh, I look forward to all that. Pete Carroll in his farewell news conference yesterday in Seattle, out with the Seahawks. Now uh, the city of Seattle, Seahawks fans, Huskies fans, in a uh, in a blender. As Kalen DeBoer's name has surfaced as uh, 
a possible replacement for Nick Saban at Alabama. Here to talk about it all, Adam Jude, Seattle Times, friend of this show. You know him. You love him. Used to work in Eugene. Used to work in Portland. Adam, thanks for making time. What has it been like in the last 24 hours there? Oh, my gosh. Just think about the last, you know, 72, you know, 100 hours around here. Um, from the highest of the highs uh, for football fans here, the Huskies, uh, you know, Monday afternoon preparing to play Michigan in the national title game. Uh, lowest of the lows, you know, they walk off the field there in Houston, dejected, obviously, falling short there of, of winning their first national championship in, in 32 years. And um, But, you know, the perspective of that, if you're a Husky fan, obviously a, a tremendous season. You've got a, a young, exciting, up-and-coming coach and, and coaching staff. Um, and then all of a sudden you turn 36 hours later, and uh, there's such an overlap, of course, with Husky fans and Seahawks fans and sort of the stunning news yesterday, Pete Carroll is out. Um, you know, we started to get some rumblings of it, started to get uh, hints of that feeling on, on Tuesday night, but for it to really happen Wednesday morning uh, was certainly a shock to the system, I think, for just about everybody here in Seattle. I, I really thought Pete had kind of earned that, you know, that opportunity to go out on his terms whenever he felt it was right. And, you know, for him to effectively get fired, I mean, that's really what happened. Um, again, just really, really a shock to the system for everyone here, and um, still kind of processing it. To be, to be honest, he's such an institution up here. You know, it's such a great run at USC. You think about all the success he had there. He's been here in Seattle even longer, and I would argue the run here to do it in the NFL, uh, to do it with uh, the cast of characters that he's had to run through over the last 14 years. I'd say it's uh, even more impressive than what he was able to do at USC, uh, just because of the stakes and because of the uh, to do it at the at the highest level here. So it's it's an interesting time here in Seattle, and all of a sudden again you turn around yesterday, and as you mentioned, Caleb DeBoer now uh, right in the thick of the the Alabama coaching search too. Uh, obviously, just a ton of rumors. You're trying to separate facts from fiction at this point, but uh, that's just where we're at in the early stages of this Alabama search, and it makes a ton of sense that Caleb DeBoer, given the success. He's had not only here in, in Seattle the last two years, but every stop he's ever been in, his name's going to be at the forefront of, of every coaching shirts, whether it's the Seahawks or whether it's Alabama here going forward. So fascinating time in here, here in Seattle, that's for sure. Drilling down on Pete Carroll, I mean, you hear him talking there about the energy, the enthusiasm. He never looked like a guy who was ready to go. It, how did the firing go over with fans? Are, are, are there a faction of fans upset about this? Um, did people think, oh, it's... It's the right move, but they handled it wrong. What's the general sentiment that you're hearing? Yeah, that's a right question, and I, I love that you just played that clip too, leading into this because that's quintessential Pete Carroll, isn't it? Like he's 72 years old, but he might be the youngest 72 year old that's ever lived. I mean, he's perpetually in the mode of like a kindergartner who just had their first, you know, piece of cotton candy. He's just he's on full blast all the time. It's so natural for him. It's just who he is. He exudes that all the time. And if you spend three minutes around him, you, you get that feeling too. And it, it's pretty contagious. That said, um, really these last couple of years, uh, they've been kind of stuck in the mud. Obviously there was two years ago, huge shakeup um, with, the, with the Russell Wilson trade, um, another shocking development up here. And then for the Seahawks to be able to rebound with Geno Smith, such a great story last year, for them to go nine and eight and just make the playoffs when everyone else assumed they'd be one of one of if not the worst teams in the nfl last year um was really probably one of his best coaching seasons ever um and so that kind of raised the bar coming into this year they fell short um they've had a really good couple of drafts but they've got this young nucleus coming in that 
for whatever reason, you just weren't getting those same vibes um, that we got from that Legion of Boom era. Not just the talent on the field, of course. That's a huge, you know, bar for for any any defense to try to live up to that Legion of Boom era. But it's more just a personality and and those players being in tune with kind of Pete's aura and what he's all about. Um, because he's in this era of player empowerment, right? He gives the players more power than probably any coach who's ever lived. And it's easy to take that for granted if you're a player. And I do think that's kind of what happened here these last couple of years. They weren't all pulling the same direction all the time. Um, the attention to detail has never really been Pete Carroll's strength. Um, maybe that's a little oversimplified. But again, it, 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 what he's always been about is just giving the players, trying to bring out the best in them individually and then bring that all together as a team. And again, for whatever reason, you just weren't getting those same vibes here the last couple of years. Just some weird stuff. And, you know, the Jamal Adams trade really backfired on these guys. Some of the young guys just, again, just, you're just not feeling in tune. So I do feel like the fan base here in the last year or so was starting to feel like is, is the aura of Pete Carroll starting to, starting to wear off a little bit. And then obviously ownership here, Jody Allen, uh, was obviously starting to feel the same thing. And I, I do give her a ton of credit for making this move. You know, a lot of people see her not not really sure. You know, same thing with the Trailblazers down there. Not really sure what direction, uh, what her vision is for the franchise going forward. A lot of people assume she's gonna sell. She has to sell based on Paul Allen's will um, here in the here in the near future. But she's really taking ownership of this. She made a bold move two years ago, deciding to trade Russell Wilson, and here she here she makes another one. She's all in. She's invested. Whether that's only the short term, um, I think I think this has a chance to to really pave a uh, clear path forward and obviously she's taking ownership of this and and we'll see what where 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 it leads but it's a bold move no doubt about that are people nervous because you know she has done the same with the blazers it hasn't gone well do our seahawks sure. fans looking down to portland going hey let's not end up where they are uh, i think that's a fair question i but i don't get that sense at all no i think the seahawks are kind of in their own bubble in their own little stratosphere here obviously it's been such a great um, you know, 12, 14 year run here. Um, they got to those back to back Super Bowls. Um, they got to the highest, the highest. The expectations are still really high for this franchise. And I, I don't think there, there's some trepidation just in that. Again, people, Jody Allen obviously is not very public. Um, I don't think anyone knows what her voice would be. She, you know, she hopped on the radio. I'm not sure anyone would know that it, that was actually her. Um, <laughs> at the same time, you know, it's, it's, um, you know, the fans have their own expectations, and I do feel like, you know, it's kind of fan base divided here over the last year or two where it felt like this was a franchise treading water. There was no clear path forward. Where are we going? What are we doing? You know, we have an older coach. Maybe he's lost his touch a little bit. Um, but, again, to me, more than Jody Allen, this says a lot about John Schneider, the Seahawks general manager here. Again, Pete Carroll had – autonomy with this with this whole thing he ran this whole franchise he ran this whole program even when paul allen was here pete had final say on every personnel decision that said john schneider um is a well-regarded general manager here they've been together for 14 years it was an arranged marriage 14 years ago that could have gone sideways these guys had no prior relationship they didn't know each other somehow they became really close and they made this thing work obviously they didn't agree on every transaction or every draft pick but Pete Carroll at every turn made sure John Schneider was getting the credit that he that he deserved, and that you know people knew that John Schneider ran their draft, and they they've had a really strong couple last couple of drafts after some dips there about five six years ago. John Schneider's going to take over now. This is his baby. 
Um, he's going to drive the bus now. He's going to hire a coach that will ostensibly report to him. And this is all about John Schneider to me. Um, he's proven he's got the chops. And now he's going to, you know, the most important decision he'll ever make is go finding Pete Carroll's successor. It's a lot of pressure, and he's got to get it right. He can't get this wrong. Adam Jude, Seattle Times with us. I want to pivot to the University of Washington. You know, as the Seahawks are looking for a coach, the Huskies are hoping they don't have to. Jen Cohen, the former AD now uh, at USC, Kalen DeBoer, I kind of wonder, Michael Penix leaving. Is this the right time for DeBoer to be exploring things? How serious is all this talk that you hear out there nationally about DeBoer in Alabama? Yeah, I'm fascinated to see the next, you know, maybe even just the next few hours where this all plays out. Certainly next 24 hours, I'd expect we'd get some sort of clarity on this. But, you know, if you're Kalen DeBoer coming off the national championship game, coming off a you know, 25 and two run here the last two years, 25 and three after the loss on Monday night. You know, your your star is never going to be brighter than it is right now. He made what 4.2 million here this year at UW, the best bargain in recent history in college football. Um, there's no doubt about it that he's going to go out there and double his salary if he were just to stay at UW. Now he might go triple his salary if he plays his cards right and if his agent Jimmy Sexton plays their cards right. Um, you know, you play the Alabama game, maybe the you know rumored interest. From the Seahawks, who knows? Um, there's plenty of opportunities out there. If Jim Harbaugh leaves for the NFL, there's another opening, big-time opening. Michigan would be crazy not to at least explore uh, DeBoer as well. Uh, his name's going to be out there for the next couple weeks uh, as the coaching carousel really picks up steam. And so um, ultimately, where does that leave him? I don't know. I don't have a good relationship, close relationship with DeBoer. Um, I'm fascinated to see what happens. He was only at Fresno State for one year, jumped over to, to UW. You know, if he wants to get to the to, to the top, if he wants to have a chance to win a national championship, compete for a national championship every year, he should probably go to Alabama at the same time. He has no ties. He's never really recruited in the South. He's kind of a, you know, under-the-radar, low-key, Midwestern-type guy. How will that personality fit in the SEC? I think that's a really fair question. And if you're Greg Byrne at Alabama right now, that's probably your big question. Is that personality – is that um, uh, you know sort of soft-spoken type guy really going to fit uh, with the culture in Alabama and go go up against you know the cutthroat world there in the South? Um, I don't know, but I do know Kalen DeVore can coach, and he can pro- probably coach wherever you land him, wherever he drops in at any any stop in the country. And so I'm fascinated to see where where that all shakes out here in the next day or two. Is there any kind of synergy between these two jobs? Meaning, uh, you know, if DeVore leaves, is Pete Carroll, a uh, candidate at Washington, is DeBoer a candidate with the Seahawks? Like, could they trade jobs? <laughs> just, just flip spots. Um, man, uh, I don't see it happening, but that's that's really fun to think about. Um, you know, that's the fascinating part too of, of Pete Carroll and his talking yesterday again. He's, I'm not tired. He came out and said it. He's, I don't think he'll ever be tired. He'll be on his deathbed and he'll probably pop up. I'm, I'm, on, I'm not tired, guys. Like, I got one more run in me. Um, who knows? I mean, I, I think Pitt Carroll is going to take a week or two here, kind of catch his breath, figure out what just happened, and then he'll probably get right back on it. You know, the Seahawks, Jody Allen, I think they, they tried to do the, the respectful thing yesterday in the announcement. They tried to do the classy thing and say, you know, it wasn't a firing. They never used that word or we've, we've parted ways. Um, they just said he was no longer going to be the coach and they'd like him to stick around in an advisory role. I just don't know if that's Pete Carroll's, you know, M.O. That's just not who he is. He's not destined to be ever in the background and, and, and just advising someone. 
He's got too much energy. He's got too much history. He's got to be out there out front. So whatever prominent job is out there, I could see people linking him to him, whether they're just throwing crap against the wall just to, just to kind of try to get some clicks. You never know. But um, I do think he'll be intrigued uh, to kind of see what's out there and see what opportunities he might be able to land because in his mind, he's not done yet. And uh, I think he's going to explore some opportunities and see what he can get. What kind of coach does, do the Seahawks need? That's a great question. And, again, with John Schneider running this thing and the great relationship he had with Pete Carroll the last 14 years, you know, they have a culture here, and, and that word gets thrown around and overused a lot. But the Seahawks, for about 90% of the NFL, are, are really the envy of just about everybody because they had a culture here with Pete Carroll um, that was unique. That was different. The players wanted to come here, and then they'd come here and be like, oh, my gosh, this, this really is different. I love playing for this guy. I've, I've never had so much fun playing football. We hear that over and over again to the point where, again, it just kind of got cliche and, and you roll your eyes a little bit at it at times, but it, but it was true with so many different guys saying it over the years. So to me, I think they're going to look at a guy like Dan Quinn, who's been in the system here, coached that Legion of Boom defense, um, is a lot like Pete Carroll in a lot of ways, a defensive first guy with a lot of energy, a lot of respect from the players. And that's why you, that was the first name you saw yesterday. Dan Quinn, former Seahawks defensive coordinator. He's the Cowboys defensive coordinator right now. Him and John Schneider have a close relationship. And, and again, I think it would allow John Schneider to step up as sort of the, the president of football operations and really kind of take charge of the, the football side of things and, and let Dan Quinn take charge of the coaching end of things. That said, there are other intriguing guys out there too. The Seahawks have to look at some offensive guys as well. You look at, you know, the Rams and the 49ers and the, the offensive coaches that are kicking their butt year in and year out here, um, maybe the Seahawks decide, you know what, we we, we, we can't stop them. we got to keep up with them. And I think that's an option, too, to find the next up-and-coming young uh, offensive mind and, and really lean into that and kind of pivot a little bit. But ultimately, I think they're first, first going to look at a guy like Dan Quinn just kind of keep, keep the momentum going with what they've had here the last decade plus with Pete Carroll and kind of keep those similar vibes going here. Adam Jude, Seattle Times, get back to work. Uh, somebody may have been fired or hired while you were talking to me. <laughs> I appreciate know. you, man. <laughs> I, I'll be refreshed into it, that's for sure. Thanks, John. Good to see you. All right, there he, there he goes. Taking the temperature in Seattle. We'll unpack that, plus give you the latest. Dan Lanning coming up at 420. I want you to text during this commercial break. Text a friend. Text a Duck fan. Text a casual observer and say, hey, catch Lanning on the BFT 420 coming up. No two days are ever the same. My days are like fingerprints. Somebody asked me today, what's a typical day for you? Well, I uh, I wake at about, oh, 5.30, help get the kids, especially the uh, 7-year-old and 9-year-old, kind of going, 7-year-old in particular. Um, there's a cup of coffee involved. There's a lot of, uh, on a day like today, Dan Lanning, uh, reaching out to Dan Lanning, reaching out to other coaches in college football who might know what's going on athletic directors trying to find out how serious uh, his non-response was I had an inkling that Lanning was not going anywhere not doing anything I, I had an inkling that he's committing to Oregon he was going to be with the Ducks you know he said that I believe him when he said it believe him even more now um, did reach Dan Lanning directly at about 730 and he told me something coming at 9 a.m. And he left it there. And I took that to mean he was probably staying. 
Because you don't say 9 a.m. and then you know, you get a bunch of leaks in Alabama. He's gone, he's gone, he's gone. So when nothing, you know, it was like 8.55, I tipped Stephen off. I said, hey, Stephen, you know, something coming maybe at 9 a.m. involving landing. And, but my hunch was he was staying and he was going to triple down, I guess, on his desire to let people know he was in. Um, then, uh, obviously, 9 a.m. came and there was a little announcement in the video and uh, I got cracking writing and posted a column at johnconzano.com. I encourage you to check it out. It's kind of on the business of coaching, the changing landscape of sports and Dan Lanning's, you know, you know, is it time to believe Dan Lanning when he says he's not going anywhere? Like, is it safe to believe if you're an Oregon fan or an Oregon State fan, for crying out loud? Is it safe to believe these guys? And so wrote that column, posted it, promoted it on the socials. If you follow me on Instagram or TikTok or uh, Facebook, you know you saw that promoted. Then I uh, jumped on a call with... Uh, the big boss man in the radio world, the president of the uh, Portland market, Robert Dove, welcoming him to the fold. Known him for 17 years. Uh, really uh, appreciate his leadership. Uh, talked to him for a while, then then had a meeting with the other boss, Anna, and uh, we talked about stuff, household stuff. And then uh, all the while I'm prepping the show and trying to get Dan Landing to commit to coming on the show. And he was in and out of meetings, in and out of meetings. And I'm like, look, you know, we're supposed to talk yesterday. If you don't have time, you don't have time. And he's like, hey, I get out of my meeting at 4, and I said 4.20. He said, done. Dan Landing coming up at 4.20. Um, then I said, you know what, we need somebody else. We need somebody in the Seattle market to speak to this Kalen DeBoer nonsense. Or is it? Adam Jude, Seattle Times, you just heard him. Great stuff. Uh, appreciate everybody who listens to the show, but what you should do, because we're in this together, is let somebody know Dan Lanning's coming on the show at 420. Think about that person in your contacts that would care, and just shoot him a text, tune in to 750 The Game in Portland, 420, or Fox Sports Eugene if you're in Eugene at 420, or if you're in Klamath Falls, 960 AM at 420, or if you're in Roseburg, um, you know, you've got, uh, uh, you, you got an opportunity uh, as well to uh, be part of the promotional team. You know, get on board. Uh, if you are in Roseburg, it's at 1490 The Score, Douglas County. Uh, but good stuff from uh, from Adam Jude last uh, segment. Stephen, I want to unpack it a little bit. What do you make of the Pete Carroll firing and the rumor that Kalen DeBoer is up for this Nick Saban uh, succession? Well, it's interesting because... It, you know, yesterday, when Saban retires, the talk initially goes just goes to Dan Lanning, right? And we and the Pete Carroll stuff had come out before, and we thought, well, maybe DeBoer to uh, Seattle, to the Seahawks, like that'd make a lot of sense if he wants to go there. And now it seems like DeBoer to Alabama seems like the number one option for Kalen DeBoer. But at the same time, I mean, I, am I crazy to think that he has a really good thing going at Washington? Like, you know. He, he's won there the last two seasons, even when he hasn't had the best talent in the world. He's still getting his guys. He still wants his program. He's building it out. Uh, the fans love him up there. It's a good program that is backed by a lot of money. It's in the Big Ten. I I, I don't know. I, you know. I know it's Alabama, but at the same time, I think DeBoer has a pretty good thing going at, at Washington. Why would he want to necessarily leave a spot like that where maybe the pressure is going to be off him a little bit, like you just said with Alabama, and go to Alabama where you know it's got to be win-win-win every single season. I think succeeding Nick Saban is problematic for anyone. Whoever takes that job 
is essentially Frank Sinatra Jr. Or as the longtime booster at Oregon um, told me, it's like following Tiger Woods to the first tee. Like, you know, your knees are knocking. Good luck. Um, love, to, love to see how you do there. Um, I, I think that DeBoer is interesting because his AD is gone. Jen Cohen has gone to USC. Um, it's interesting to kind of watch the NIL collective. It's not as powerful as Oregon's. I do think Washington's going to have a more difficult time in the Big Ten than Oregon making the transition. That said, he does have a good thing going in Seattle. His daughter is going to play softball at the University of Washington. You know, it, does his daughter get a softball scholarship to Alabama? Is that part of the deal? I don't know, but, you know, he told me in the summer he's really looking forward to watching his kid play and being the coach at Washington, and this is what coaches say, and then they go and they take a job somewhere else. But, you know, it's um, it's uh, really interesting to kind of watch. What's your what's your thought on, like, having to keep it, you know, be a Washington guy or Alabama guy? You know, because you look at the Seahawks, uh, you know, Dan Quinn, one of those guys who, he's a Seahawks guy, uh, you know, came, you know, came with Pete Carroll earlier in his career, keep it the same. Is that really valuable, you think, in sports, or is it okay to reach outside of the quote-unquote family? Because even Dan Landing, you know, he has ties to Alabama. I feel like it's a little overblown that it has to be, like, you know, an Alabama guy or a Washington guy or Seattle guy. I don't know. I, I'm i watching – I'm just thinking in general about the market in Seattle right now. How if Imagine being a Seahawk fan and a Husky fan and what your world is feeling like right now. It's enough to deal with one. And, you know, the, the uncertainty in the ground that shakes when a coach, you know, a regime changes. They're dealing with two. And, you know, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen there, but we're going to track it. And Dan Lanning in the next hour. Who gets the Seahawks job? And I got news for people in Seattle. I am a little worried that the Seahawks are going to turn into the Blazers. I am. Judah Newby is our resident Seahawks fan. I got to know, Judah Newby, when Pete Carroll gets fired, and you know that Burt Cold and Jody Allen are in the background of this thing, you know, because you've seen what they've done to the Blazers. Do you warn other Seahawks fans, or do you kind of go, yeah, I just hope, you know, the, the good people who work for the Seahawks have the voices in the room? <laughs> I warn them. I absolutely warn them. I, uh, I, I've been around you and, and the Blazers long enough to know not to trust uh, Jody Allen and Burt Cold's movements. It doesn't mean that uh, they can't get it right because, you know, even dunces get things right from time to time. Sure. But this did seem early, and on first blush, first impressions, it does not feel like uh, the right move in the moment. Uh, hopefully there's a bigger picture that can resolve in a positive light, but I feel like I'd be naive to trust it. Burt Cold is a wannabe. He's a major wannabe. The NBA and the NFL, the league offices both view Burt Cold as a problem. And I, I think the NBA is in a tricky spot because they cannot you know, force the sale of the Blazers even though Jody Allen's got some weird stuff in the background with having her uh, bodyguards wear model Speedos for her and whatever. I mean, can you imagine if that were a male owner and he was like, oh, my bodyguard, my female bodyguards are going to put on swimwear 
And, uh, you know, she had lawsuits that, that, that she settled with her bodyguards. There was uh, the giraffe bone smuggling incident. Um, you know, the NBA views her as a problem, but not publicly. They'll privately go, hey, man, this is a problem. I wish they would sell. Um, Blazers had the sixth worst record in the NBA last season, looked to be about the same this year. And, um, you know, how fast can the Blazers be sold? How fast can the Seahawks be sold? Um, highest bidder, get involved. Because uh, the NFL, I think, is a little more immune to ownership, uh, tomfoolery, and ballyhoo. Uh, you know, in that the league tends to be foolproof to an extent with a hard salary cap and the NFL draft. And most times, owners can do stupid things, but the league just sort of is built for parity. And so your downside isn't as bad as the NBA. In the NBA, you have catastrophic downside. And we're seeing that with the Blazers organization. It's literally catastrophically, uh, it's a bad, it's a, it's a really bad setup. And so I, I do warn Seahawks fans, I do warn them that, you know, you may be hopeful, but you better hope that like there are some good football minds involved and it doesn't end up going to Burt Cold and Jody Allen because if if the franchise is put in their hands. You are host. I want to ask you a question about this coaching search, if I can. Um, because you made an interesting point there, saying that it seemed like it was almost a mistake, kind of, that Pete Carroll gets fired. What would be a like? What would be a good hire and make it be like, okay, now I understand what the plan is. Because you said maybe there's an ultimate plan. What coach is that? Because the Seahawks are in a weird spot where are they rebuilding? Are they contending? Like what? As a Seahawks fan, like what? Who, what coach is out there that you think? All right, yeah, th- this is the plan. I see what they're doing because I because well, I, mean, I don't get it because I don't get that fire yeah. by Pete Carroll. I I think there are a lot of there's a faction of Seahawks fans who had kind of said, "Hey, Carroll, kind of plateaued, and he you know he wasn't the same coach that he was five years ago, or maybe the players are different." And you know you're talking about a seventy year old guy and you know twenty two-year-old players coming into the league and 23-year-old players coming into the league. So, you know, maybe you need somebody who is that next-generation coach. And maybe, you know, like, look, I get it. If you ha- if you can get Jim Harbaugh and you think he's your solution, you move on Pete Carroll. I just thought it was interesting that they waited till Wednesday. And maybe they didn't want to upstage the national championship game on Monday. You know, maybe they were waiting. Maybe their guy was coaching in that game. Maybe it's Harbaugh. I don't know, but... I- you know, is Dan Quinn the answer? I mean, are they so enamored with him that they were like, okay, we want to go back. Uh, it's time to move on from Pete. We're going to go back. I don't know. Like, that's my thing. Does, does that move the needle? If it's Dan Quinn, does that it hire? It doesn't for me. It doesn't. Does it, like, does, it, yeah. does it for you? It does. I like Dan Quinn a lot, but I might be too close to it, you know, just because I loved what Dan did running defense this year. He's already been a head coach that's gone to a Super Bowl. We forget about that. He led the Falcons when they, you know, lost the 28-3 game, but still, he got a team to the Super Bowl. So I like the idea of being a second-time head coach and returning to a place where he's had success before. And by the way, even though he is close to Pete Carroll on the coaching tree, he doesn't run the same stuff anymore schematically. He has evolved his scheme um, impressively, and it helps to have Micah Parsons, but he's got a much more modern defense and philosophy I would like and support the Dan Quinn move, but I do. Uh, I think Jim Harbaugh would be a lot of fun too in a crazy way. Let's go to Dallas, uh, Texas, where Marcus is listening to the show. Welcome back, Marcus. Dude, why didn't you call me earlier? You guys have this so wrong, Pete. Okay, 
You have Seahawks fans that are in your studio, right, or say to be. Did you guys watch the games the last five years? This team couldn't stop anybody. Couldn't stop the run, couldn't stop the pass. I love Pete. Nobody loves Pete more than I do. But this thing wasn't working at all. The only reason we won any games this year is because Geno Smith pulled a, I can't cuss on your air, pulled a rabbit out of his you-know-what like five times in order to bail us out because we couldn't stop anybody when it meant anything. This thing was not going anywhere, and the only reason why Pete was around as long as he was was because he won that Super Bowl. If we would have lost that game against the Broncos, Pete's out of here five years ago. Now, you're right about one thing. You're right about this being a problem with Jody Allen and Burt Cole. I don't want to see us hire a Chauncey Bullock-like candidate and be a lame duck franchise the way that the Blazers are. Okay, I agree with you. The difference is we have John Schneider running the show, and he has proven to be a competent and valuable general manager, and I'm glad he's still here to steer the ship. But this whole thing that Pete, I love Pete. I love Pete more than anything. But this team sucks, and it sucked for a long time. And he's the one that traded two first-round picks for Jamal Adams. He's the one that traded for Quandre Diggs and then re-signed both of them to ridiculous Wait, 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 wait. You don't put any of that on the general manager? He's the general manager just sitting around or what? Everybody knows Pete is the deciding factor. Pete had control of the roster, and that's why John Harbaugh is not going to work either because this is John Schneider's show now, and John Harbaugh is going to want to come in, maybe rightfully so, and have the full keys to the franchise, and John Schneider will not let that happen. Does Dan Quinn get my juices flowing? Maybe because I'm a a sucker for the past and the glory day defense. I know this is painful for you as a 49er fan listening to the Seahawks talk all day. Yeah. I'm so appreciate I mean, it. I, I, but, but you know what? The Niners went, the Marcus, but Niners went through their own thing. Like some of this is the NFL and yep. your salary cap situation just sort of sets you up to have a great fall after you've had a big rise. You're right. And here's what another point why Pete needs to go. What's happened in the division? Sean McVay, Kyle Shanahan, these young guys have come in and kicked, I can't cuss has kicked Pete you-know-what for the last four or five years now. We can't stop Sean McVay's offense. doesn't matter if it's Jared Goff or Matt Stafford. We can't stop your mediocre quarterback, uh, the kid from Iowa State whose name I'm John Purdy. We can't stop him. We can't stop any. can't stop Jimmy G. We cannot stop these new offensive coaches because Pete refuses to change his ways. And it's been like this for five years, and I'm tired of it. I love Pete, but it was time to go. I'm sorry for yelling on your air, but this is nonsense that we pulled the plug too early on Pete Carroll. Well, I'm not saying they pulled the plug too early. Thank you, Marcus, in Dallas, Texas. You can call back anytime. But I'm not saying you necessarily pulled the plug too early. I was more referring to the unceremonious way that it happened. And here is a guy that, you know, has done everything for the franchise. If you're putting up a Mount Rushmore of the Seattle Seahawks franchise, do you put Pete Carroll on it? I think you do, because he got you your only championship in the same way that the Blazers, there are parallels here, have Dr. Jack Ramsey and Bill Walton. There's just a limited number of guys that you'd put on that Mount Rushmore. And so do you, if you're Jody Allen, open the door and put your stiletto in the back of Pete Carroll's rump and kick him out the door and leave him crying at the news conference, or do you handle it differently? I don't know what the answer is. You know, people that I know and trust in Seattle are all going, hey, he had kind of run his course, he had kind of plateaued, but man, that is a cutthroat way to treat Pete Carroll at the end. I don't know if there's an easy way out. Maybe it's just part of the business. But here's the other thing. If you think John Schneider is going to be the decision maker, if this was his call, 
I would pump the brakes a little bit. There's Burt Cold out there, and he's involved with the Blazers. He is uh, as wannabe as they come, wants to be important, wants to uh, you know act like he's the de facto owner or the team president, and he's not. He has become a problem with the Blazers, and I fear that he will be a problem with the Seahawks. And as a Niner fan, I'm even sit, stepping back going, hey, man, I, I like when the Seahawks are decent. It's no fun for the Niners just to kick their teeth in every year, twice a year. That's you know, we I saw that forever. It was more fun when these teams were battling at the top of the division. Great games. Every game felt big, every possession felt big. It just hasn't felt that way in a couple of years in Seattle. And I even thought last year was a great season for Seattle. Like when you look at what the Seahawks did last year, I thought, gosh, what a uh what a what a great season for Pete Carroll in the wake of Russell Wilson leaving. Because what do we see? We see Bill Belichick fail without Tom Brady. We see coaches who struggle when they don't have their QB. All of a sudden, Geno Smith is is the savior of the Seattle Seahawks organization. I'm not buying that. Uh, let's play some punch and audio. We got great sound. Let's do it. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Fish Truth Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear little snippets of sound. Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio. Presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. On yesterday's show, Lee Hacksaw Hamilton, the voice in Southern California, joined us. He talked about Justin Herbert and the Chargers. What do they need to do? Punch it. I feel bad for Justin Herbert at the end of the day because I think the organization has just failed him miserably. Can they fix it? Yeah, probably. Right guy. Very high draft pick. Very high second round draft pick. But they got this massive salary cap problem, so it, it's not going to be easy to fix. And again, now we're now we're dealing with who's going to be the general manager, who's going to have the authority. I think it's got to be somebody outside the last name Spanos. But I don't know that they'll they'll give the guy coming in the front door the opportunity to be the decision maker on player personnel. Yeah, Justin Herbert needs a head coach. He had how many at Oregon? Three: Mark Helfrich, Willie Taggart, Mario Cristobal. Now he's gone to the NFL. It's been more of the same. You need some continuity. Justin Herbert's got to be craving it. Nick Saban at Alabama saying this season took a lot out of him. Punch it. No, I don't think there's any good time, especially when you're a coach, because once you're a coach, you think you're going to be a coach forever but I actually thought that uh, in hiring coaches uh, recruiting players uh, that my age started to become a little bit of an issue people wanted uh, assurances that I would be here for three years five years whatever and that got harder and harder for me to be honest about and to be honest this last season uh, was grueling uh, it was a real grind uh, for us to come from where we started to where we got to uh, took a little little more out of me than usual and you know when people mentioned the health issue it was really just the grind of can you do this the way you want to do it can you there's Nick Saban uh, saying goodbye at Alabama six national championships who will replace him not Dan Lanning he's coming up at 420 he'll tell us why he's staying at Oregon is it Kalen DeBoer is it someone else I think it's a really difficult act to follow it's really, literally, Frank Sinatra Jr. Good luck. You know, every, the expectations are so high. Bill Belichick out in New England after 24 seasons. Adam Schefter says, why not the Falcons? Punch it. There aren't many owners 
that have swung harder at big-name head coaches than Arthur Blank. He once mm. tried but didn't get mm. to hire Joe Gibbs. He once tried to hire and get Bill Parcells. And now the Falcons have a vacancy while the Bill Belichick is a coaching free agent. We know that he knows him. Remember the 28-3 game in the <laughs> Super Bowl that we're watching the highlights of, right? I mean, it's all right there. It makes so much sense that it's hard to imagine that Arthur Blank wouldn't have some level of interest in Bill Belichick. There it is. Belichick to the Falcons. I don't know. He'll be coaching somewhere. Keep an eye on it. Brian Berger, Sports Business Radio, joined us on yesterday's show. Uh, we talked about Paul Allen and his wishes for the Blazers and the Seahawks. Berger says he's rolling in his grave. Punch it. I think he's rolling over in his grave. I don't think this is what Paul wanted. Um, I think Paul would have kept Pete Carroll. Um, I just don't think that she has any qualifications to make the decisions that she's making. And unless Pete came to her and said, you know, I don't want to be here anymore, I don't know why she would make this change. I listened to Pete's press conference today. He doesn't sound like he's done coaching. Yeah, it doesn't sound like he's done. But meanwhile, for Blazer fans, maybe more than Seahawks fans, I'm eager to see new ownership, new vision, refreshing vision. You know, anybody who who uh, has followed that organization knows it's been difficult to follow the Blazers. Dan Lanning is coming up, University of Oregon football coach. This morning, kind of put to rest the idea that he might be leaving for Alabama. Did he go to Tuscaloosa? Did he entertain going to Tuscaloosa? Why is the Oregon job better than Alabama or any other SEC job? How has the game changed for a coach? What's the calculus now? And is it true that Dan Lanning wants his kids, all three of his sons, to graduate from the same high school? I'm going to ask him those questions and more. Leave it here. When all this, is it rumor? Is that what we call it? Rumor, Twitter, social media? When all this stuff last night was going on with tracking this plane out of Eugene and Tuscaloosa and all of the questions, like it messes with my, it messes with my, my life. I can't imagine that it, that it's a positive experience like for Dan Lanning's family or, for Duck fans out there who are trying to figure out what the heck is going on and, hey, I bought season tickets or I'm a sponsor or, you know, hey, I'm, I, I'm helping give to the NIL collective or what. You know, I can't imagine uh, people who are invested in other ways and what, what goes on with them as they are waiting to hear, like, you know, is Lanning leaving? Is it, And this is the third time in two years that Dan Lanning's had to go public and say, hey, I'm not leaving. Do people believe him? Do you believe him now? Do you believe him? Dan Lanning, Oregon coach, joining us now. I believe you. I believe you're staying. For, for real, though? Yes, 100%. I, I said on yesterday's yeah. show, I was telling people, I said, look, you you got to take him at his word. you got to look at his actions. You know, I'm looking at your kids, your your oldest being in eight cities, uh, you know, in his life. Like, he's settled into a school. He's made some friends. i got to think that matters. Yeah, it's, uh, it certainly matters. And uh, it's funny, you sit around the, the dinner table last night, and I'm – we're just kind of laughing and joking with each other. And I'm saying, boys, what do you think? You ready to go, you know, to state number nine? And it, you would have thought there was a mutiny about to happen in my house because they didn't realize I was just joking with them. But, uh, yeah, we, we like where we're at. We love this place. The, the Oregon job, what makes it 
a good job in in today's world of college football? You know, great jobs in college football are a combination of things in my mind, like resources. Um, you know, I always talk about innovation when I come when I talk about Oregon. Like college football is changing so much, I feel like they're on the cutting edge. I've never been around a better administration in my life. Like I enjoy working with Rob Mullins. I enjoy working with our president. I mean, I, like the it, everyone's working together. We're all rowing the boat in the same direction. You know, and that's a part of it. And then when you combine it with a great staff. Um, you know, where we have some continuity and guys are going to be able to advance here and p- people leave here every once in a while. And I'm always hoping that we're getting guys opportunities. You know, I, I, I'm, our coaches aren't slaves to staying here. I don't want them to have to stay here forever. I want them to be able to take this job and turn it into the next great job for them. One that they can't say no to. Um, but we have a lot of coaches this, this off season that, uh, I can't tell you how many guys have been offered opportunities and they said no, because they know where we're headed. And then we got a, a combination of great players and player acquisition, we're able to go get great players out of high schools. We're able to get great players in the portal because they realize and see the vision of everything Oregon's becoming. And if we continue to, to pour into this like you do when you work hard and when you care, we can make this the best job in the nation. We can, and, uh, you know, I think we will. How how much does, because it used to be facilities and proof of performance and maybe some geography. Now we have the, the NIL factor in this how much does the buying power or the impact of division street have in making oregon a great job it all it all makes it a great job and if you're missing any part right now which i think is what certain schools are running into is like well we want to we need more money for nil so we're going to not commit to facilities we need you know uh we're going to have a great staff and we're just going to get players that want to come play for the love of the game and i think every coach would love to say that's what they're going to get um but that's not reality so um you know, we have a great structure here. We have a system in place that everyone else outside is trying to say, hey, man, how do we see what they're doing there? How do they do it so well? Um, but we, it's, it's more about people than anything. And we have the people here that have a vision um, of what they want this place to look like and how can they be a part of it. Like there's so many people that want to make this place a better place. And when you have all that, um, you, you get a chance to check every box. And we're one of the schools in the nation that checks every box right now. We're not – content with staying the same we're trying to figure out how we can be better we always talk about growth mindset around here and we're trying to figure out you know how do we grow how do we get better um we're not where we want to be yet but we're positioned to be in as good a place as anybody so last night i uh i go to see a a movie and i'm you know while i'm in the movie i'm that guy's got my phone dimmed and i'm trying to like figure out like Mm -hmm. do i need to walk out of the movie and go do some reporting and what were you doing? And give me an idea, like when everybody's freaking out about your location, what's going on in your household? Well, I'm laughing because I'm sitting here in my living room and my buddies are texting me like, hey, what are you doing in Tuscaloosa? I thought you told us you weren't going anywhere. I'm like, I'm not. And they're like, well, there's a report on a local news station. I thought at first it was a, I thought it was like a Alabama station or something. I didn't realize it was a Eugene station that said I wasn't in uh that wasn't in Eugene. That was in Tuscaloosa. And it's just, you know, it's it's pretty funny. But we, we're watching Jason. You know, Caden's been really like, all right, Dad, what's our next series? What are we going to watch next? And mm-hmm. we did the mission. We did some of the Mission Impossibles. And he's like, I've been hearing about Jason Bourne. I can't remember what the first one is. I think it's Bourne Ultimatum, maybe. Um, I'm not sure if that's the first one or not. But whatever it was, we watched the first one last night. And 
Yeah, so that's what we were doing. And then, born uh, Identity. And born then identity. I went on a little walk. Born Identity. There you go. Yeah. So it was Born Identity. And uh, we watched that one last night. And then I went, like I do when I can, I, I went on a little walk in the neighborhood. It was a little bit rainy, so I had my umbrella rolling. But, uh, but yeah, I definitely wasn't somewhere else. I was here in town. Right. When you're on that walk, are you thinking like, you know, hey, back in the day when I was a graduate assistant, like it would have been cool to be seriously considered for this job or have people think that, you know, I could do that job? It Has has your life changed so much now that, you know, when you're on that walk, are you doing any of that reflection? I, I reflect every day of how fortunate and, and um, lucky I am to be, you know, where I'm at, but also uh, I'm cognizant enough to realize that I'm here because of other people and what opportunities have been afforded to me working with great people, you know, working for a guy like Nick Saban, working for a guy like Kirby Snart. That, that's what's afforded me, to, you know, those opportunities. But um, maybe even more excited that people would say, okay, look what, look what these guys are doing at Oregon. That's something we would love to have at our place. And that tells you like how good we got it right here. Right. And that's the part that I always told myself I wouldn't ever lose sight of like when you have a good thing, um, you know, don't don't lose sight of that. Dan Lanning with us, Oregon football coach. Uh, I imagine your kids go to school and they're going to get questions at school, you know, and their lives get impacted by it. You know, do you do you send them off to school with some talking points, or do you do you guys handle that as a family? I don't think they do. Yeah. No, we're in a great place. I don't think they get bothered. I really don't. And I, and I, you know, I know one of my sons for sure tries to make sure nobody knows who who his dad is. So uh, I don't think. <laughs> I don't think that that's something that happens a ton at school. I really don't. I mean, you I know, don't know. Maybe it is. Maybe it's something I need to educate him a little bit more on. But we don't. No, but we don't I, talk I, about that. Kids are honest, though. Like you know, I imagine the answer that goes back and forth. Like my like my wife said, one of my kids was talking to one of her friends at school, and the friend had this impression that I was Australian. You know, because they said <laughs> I was Italian, and the kid, the mom's like, "So your husband's Australian? No, no." Like you, I think kids are just honest, and they they talk with each other. Give me an idea, though. You know, you've had to do this three times in two years where you have to come out and be like, no, I'm staying. Yes, I, I'm staying. I'm really staying. I'm committed. And, you know, grass isn't greener. At, at some point, do you do you think that you won't have to do that? Is this it? I mean, is this the one where everyone goes, hey, if he wasn't interested in Alabama, he's not interested in going anywhere? Well, it's funny. My, uh, my brother Jordan tweeted something that says, I don't know. I don't know if I believe him yet. You know, and I just thought that's hilarious, <laughs> you know. Um yeah, I mean, you hope at some point, you know, it's some. It's funny because of how many people try to use it in recruiting against us, right? That, right. oh, he won't be there, he's leaving. And it's like, well, what are you going to tell him now? You can't use that in, against us anymore in recruiting, I don't think. And I mean, even to the point last night where I'm on the phone with a recruit's mom and um, she had just gone through this process with her school and the coach did leave. And I said, well, some people, you know, they don't stand by the word. It's, it's just too common and, and – yeah. I think too many people have been heartbroken too many times, and so many coaches don't mind saying something and doing something else, and that's just not me. Um, so I get it. it. It's unfortunate that other people have lost trust because of the things they do, but that, I don't know why that affects you know what I do. Like that's I'm not that guy. So it is what it is. It's it's college sports, but hopefully we stay relevant and and uh, at the front of everyone's mind because of what we are doing on the field and. Um, I think my actions will always speak louder than words, and um, that's what I have to keep, you know, riding. Monday night, I'm in Houston. You pop up pregame, you know, halftime, ESPN. You got a little TV time. Uh, how did that come together? Um, just, yeah, a phone call saying, hey, we'd love to have you down here. We always get, you know, um, a coach on set that has some familiarity with the teams and 
obviously we we played one of those teams a couple times um you know and for us you know that's usually a night in college football where everyone's talking about uh the two teams on tv but we felt like it was an opportunity for there to be another team that they're talking about a little bit and from a recruiting standpoint side note i got to meet michael jordan like i got to touch him and he touched me on the shoulder. He touched me on the shoulder. I haven't washed my shoulder yet. So, like, I've I've FaceTimed with him a couple times, but I got to, like, him, Derek Jeter, Travis Scott. Like, come on, man. That's the moment you pinch yourself and you're like, what's this dude from Richmond, Missouri doing hanging out in the suite with Michael Jordan, Travis Scott, and Derek Jeter? Like, wild. So, that, um, but, yeah, that's kind of how it came together. I guess that wasn't your question, but I just, no, I just thought about better. it. So I had to shout it. Yeah, shout it. Who's the Did best? A- Who's the greatest ever? Right, like who's a, the greatest ever, MJ or or LeBron? What's your what's your thought oh, here, Kobe? It's like, Jordan. No, no, it's Jordan. Yeah, I mean, come on, yeah, it's Jordan. He he would kill you in ping pong, checkers, whatever game. He's an assassin. Super competitor, huh? Yes. Yeah. He's got the, yeah. I'm he's with got you, the man. X factor. He has the X factor. You know, George Plimpton wrote a book. You should read it sometime when you're on a plane. It's called the X factor. That's Jordan. It's it's it, he's got it. And you know, did you get a picture with those guys? I got a picture with Jordan. I didn't, I, you know, Travis Scott's been up here before. Um, you know, he came up, you know, he's with Nike, obviously, and he came up for the Worlds, and he came by the facility. So I have a picture in my office right now with me and Travis Scott. Um, I, you know, I was the guy that wasn't very smart that day. Instead of wearing Travis Scott's, I was wearing Jordan's. And I was like, you know, that wasn't, that wasn't bright. I should have been wearing Travis Scott's. But, yeah, it. I've met him before. I'd never met Jeter before, you know, which was pretty dang cool. So, um, do you think? Yeah, I got a picture with Jordan. Do you think that you can pick things up by hanging out with Jordan, Jeter, Scott? Can Can you pick things out that can make you smarter, better, a better leader, a better coach outside of the X's and O's? Well, I think just watching them. You know, for, yeah, I don't think you have to be standing next to them to necessarily. Be, like, if I was able to sit down and say, "Hey, let's let's take two hours," I'd be the guy with a notebook out writing down a million things for sure. But. Um, that that hasn't been my experience yet. You know, like I said, I got to visit with Travis a little bit, which is pretty awesome um, last summer. But I haven't, you know, gotten that opportunity with with Michael or Derek. But yeah, there's no doubt that there's a ton to learn from those guys. But the thing that just sticks out to you about, you know, Jeter and Jordan is like ultimate competitors. Like it, like you just said, it doesn't matter what the game is. Like these guys played to win. They worked so hard at their craft um, to be the greatest, and that's the part that separated them. You know. Monday night, um, Michigan badly outrushed Washington. You saw it. And I was looking back at Oregon in 2011 in the title game, Oregon in 2015 in the title game, Washington on Monday night, collectively outrushed, get this, 853 to 253 in those three games. You know, mm-hmm. there's, there's a problem with the big guys in the SEC and the Big Ten that has not been addressed in the Pacific time zone. And maybe it's... There's not the bodies aren't there, but NIL feels like it's changing. Like you can get those guys now. Do you can you get those guys as you head off to the Big Ten? Yeah, I think we can. I think it's evident you have to, right? Like you 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 saw some of those guys on the D line there for Michigan, and they were those boys were were creating some havoc. Um, you know that it matters. So it's certainly been a priority for me since I've got here um, to enhance that and and continue to grow there. And I think our staff's done a good job of that. Now it's about developing it. Um, and continue to get it to the point where it can make an impact for your team. So, um, yeah, it matters. And, and you 100% can get those guys here at Oregon. They want to come play here at Oregon. You just got to put the effort and time in to go recruit them and get them here. Aiden Breland, Jericho Johnson, uh, Tiani Gray, 
um, Jaquan McCroy. I mean, those are big bodies, but you need layers. You need depth of those guys, don't you? Yeah, I mean, strength in numbers is what we always talk about, and it's not about just having one guy that can play. I mean, they were rolling. You saw Michigan rolling some D-linemen the other night and, uh, you know, a lot of positions the other night um, that had success on the field for them. So definitely think that's an important piece. All right. So now you, you've posted, you've, you know, put this to rest. Um, you know, it, somebody's going to have to replace Nick Saban. You were there. You you coached under him. Um, that's like Frank Sinatra Jr. Or, or, you know, Tiger Woods is on the tee and he says, join our foursome. I mean, you know, you're you're replacing a guy there at Alabama. Somebody is that that won six national titles. That is, does that come with pressure? Additional pressure, or is there just pressure in general in in the in the uh, occupation you have? Well, there's pressure in general for sure. And, and anybody that expects the next person to step in there and be Nick Saban, that's unfair expectations um, as well. But uh, you know, Nick has built an unbelievable program. Um, it has a, a a great foundation. So whoever gets that job is going to be really fortunate to have. Um, one of the best setups in college football, and they should attract you know one of the best coaches in, in college ball. There's a lot of guys that can go there and have success. There's I don't know if there's a guy out there that can go there and do what Nick did. You know that what Nick did was is different. And uh, I promise you right now, there's a lot of coaches watching that saying, okay, there's certain people they want to get that job and certain people they don't want to get that job because yeah. he's built it into something really special. And um, they'll be able to get a guy that's really good. There's no doubt. All right. Uh- you know, you guys, you talk a lot about your family, and I think people connect with it. And how important is it to you guys as a family unit to to have those kids in the same school or graduate from the high, same high school? What kind of goals do you have as a family in that in that realm? Well, that's that certainly has been our goal since we got here. My my youngest son's ten. Like I want to get him. You know, I want him to be at the same school. So you know, you, you graduate in eight years, right? And I'm hoping unless they hold him back, right? So. Uh, we got to get them graduated, right? And, w- and want it to be in the same school. They've got great friends, great relationships. They're involved in a lot of different activities here in town. So um, that's definitely was a goal for our for us when we got here, and uh, certainly want to make that happen. That means I got to win, right? Because if I don't win, I don't. We don't get to do that. But um, we're going to win. Dan Lanning, your uh, parents are buried in snow. They got like eight inches of snow this week, and. Uh, How about that? They, they, Power do, you, went out. do you miss that? Do you miss that kind of snow? I miss like the fire and the snow outside. Like when you get the fire going, that's pretty cool. Um, I don't miss shoveling snow. No way. Um, so it's 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 almost better to see in a picture than to be there in person. Yeah, literally. Uh, you, I, I I'm looking at the snowfall and thinking. You know, d- Dad probably needs a snow shovel, or send him somebody to to go sh- shovel his yard like you used to do. So, Dan Lanning, thank you for joining us. Glad you're sticking around. I believe you. Um, maybe I'm a sucker, but I I'm listening to your words. I'm hearing your logic. I see the job at Oregon. I think that's a top five job right now in the country. I think you got a really good job. Let's make it number one, man. Okay, there you go. That's your job. Go make it. No doubt. All right. Dan Lanning, thank you. Appreciate it, John. Have a good one. You too. There he goes. Dan Lanning on his way. Um, it's interesting. His dad, Don, just texted me during the interview. He says, any way I can get the interview? Yes, you can get a podcast of the interview. I'll send it to Don as well. Uh, you can go to uh, anywhere you get a podcast and look for the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Uh, so much more ahead, but I want your reaction first to what you just heard from Dan Lanning, the University of Oregon football coach. He says he's sticking around. Do you believe him? Or 
Is this another football coach who's saying what he's saying for now? I, I think the audience is probably split on it. I believe him. I believed him yesterday. I believe him today. How about you? 503-417-7575. Well, I want to know what you thought about Dan Lanning's interview. I certainly think he's a recruiter. I certainly think that, you know, he's probably tired of answering the question, are you for real? Are you really staying? Uh, you know, I think he could have come out last night, put it to rest, waited till today to do it. Um, I, there may be a recruiting reason for that. But I want you I want you to tell me, what would you think of the interview? What would you think of him, his performance, what he had to say, his comments? 503-417-7575. Let's go to Mike, who's in Eugene. Listening on Fox Sports, Eugene. Go ahead, Mike. Hey, John. Uh, I thought it was a great interview. Uh, I like the personal touch. I've been a Duck fan. I'm 65. Been a Duck fan follower for uh, what forever, 45 years. I don't know, but uh, I think we need to transfer the name. We used to call Chip Big Balls. I think that goes to Dan. And I Does got need- a little story for you. Yeah, go ahead. I got a story. So in town in the south of Eugene, there's a hill called Spencer's Butte. Yeah. A lot of people hike up there. You get a good view of the city. So my my son and his wife, they have twins. And uh, my daughter-in-law and her mom were up there taking the twins up the hill to the top, carrying them because they're not old enough to walk. At any rate, they met uh, this dude and his wife and, and three boys on the trail on the way up. And so they talked to him for a while and the, and the dude, they didn't know who it was. My daughter-in-law didn't know who it was. Uh, he commented though, these are like super moms carrying the kids up the hill. So they parted ways and they went up the hill at any rate. Uh, my daughter-in-law's mother was there with one of the boys taking them up the hill. And she said, you know who that was? That was Dan Lanning. Pretty cool, pretty cool brush with the Oregon coach. I mean, I, I do find the stuff like the football stuff. He gets asked about in the post game news conference. What'd you think about twelve personnel? What were you thinking on third down? Why didn't you kick the field goal? You know, we we can have those conversations, but I am far more interested in the family dynamic. Um, you know, the philosophy of the family. Do they want the kids to graduate from the same high school? I had heard that. It's nice to hear him say that, that that's their goal when he took the job. And I I him, hear him talk about NIL and how the landscape of, you know, the job itself has changed in the last two or three years. Um, very interesting to hear that. Mike in Portland. Mike, what'd you think of the Dan Lanning interview? First of all, John, uh, I'm going to tell you something, man. When when he tells me that he want to stay in Oregon and not go to Alabama, that's just like taking a flight, and you tell the people you want to sit back in the coach and not ride first class. What would you think about a person like that, who rather be back in coach hanging out with Andy Gump? No, man, I don't believe him. I think that Dan Lanning, Willie Taggart, and Crystal Ball must have had the same script writer because they send the same thing. We've heard these conversations before. I don't believe him. I don't believe that he'd rather be down in Eugene where it's cold, rainy, instead of being back in Alabama down south because down south, that's football capital. 
down south, man, that's a gated community. Why would you want to live in a community where anybody can just roll on through? No, I don't believe him. And if he do want to stay in Oregon, then I have to ask a little bit about his character, man. What kind of guy don't want to fly first class? That's what he's telling you. Oregon has the job changed, though. Let me ask you this, Mike, because I know you're a Colorado guy. Has the job changed? Because it used to be all about tradition and facilities and your conference, you know, and now it seems to be more about can you recruit? And Coach Prime in Colorado, he can recruit. And Oregon with Division Street, they can recruit. And is it, has the game, has the job changed? Is the SEC in Alabama a little less desirable? I mean, is Nick Saban getting out? Well, the getting's good. Well, John, I'm going to tell you something, man. When you talk about this recruiting thing, look at Oregon, man. People have been saying Oregon that had this, been having these great football teams. I have to look at what the NFL is looking at. The NFL don't draft a lot of Oregon football players. Last year, how many guys went with uh, Kayvon Trivador? Who else got drafted down there? But you said they had a great team, but the NFL don't think so. So you got to look at that, man. How many people is Oregon putting in the NFL? It's not a lot of Oregon players in the NFL. Now, before I leave, let me tell you this. Uh, speaking of Colorado, uh, what, my man up there, they said he's looking at that job. He's on the short list. Mm. He might be there. Not Alabama. But I don't think he's... Do you think he'd win there? Would would is that, a, is that a is that a good combination or is it a bad fit? Coach Prime hey, to Alabama. I don't I don't I don't know if you've been <laughs> keeping up with current events, man. But you know he just he's getting all of these um, got these gold jacket guys. He just got um, what's his name the the defensive guy. Um, man, I can't think of his name right now. Um, oh man, I can't think of that guy. Warren but he's Sapp. Getting, got, Warren Sapp. What's, Warren Sapp. Yeah. And he's, and he's probably going to get T.O. He's getting all of these Hall of Famers, man. No matter where he goes, guys going to want to come yeah, and those play guys can't, for him. Those guys can't play. Warren Sapp's not going to play for him. You know, Michael Irving's not going to get in a time machine and play for him. You're going to have to get guys. You're going to have to get players. They didn't have play, They didn't have enough dogs last year, Mike. John, John. Dan Lennon ain't never played the game. He's thirty some year old guy. You know, five years ago, man, he was almost a teenager. What can he tell a guy? He don't have a lot of life experiences. He got lucky because he knew somebody. Dan Lennon is there because he knows somebody. He's not there because he he put in his time. He paid his dues. He told you just just a few minutes ago that he's thankful that he's he's there. Because of his relationships, Dan Lennon is not there because he know a lot. He's yeah, there I, because I, I think he's there because he can recruit. I, and I think it's the combination of Division Street, Nike, Phil Knight, Dan Lanning. You know, and you know, let's just be real. Oregon beat the pants off Colorado. I mean, it, you know, I'm giving Colorado a chance to rebuild here, but I think Colorado going to the Big Twelve is good. I think it'll be an easier rebuild in the Big Twelve. Well, you don't have to deal with Oregon and Washington, and frankly, Colorado won't have to deal with Oregon State, who beat them as well. Troy's in Tillamook. Troy, how's the cheese? It's good. Hey, John, I, just real quick, I wanted to say something about Dan Lanning. 
I think what what's making him stay in Oregon is he's such a competitor that he he wants to build his own program and not take over somebody else's program. He I, wants it I to agree. be his. I agree. And and you know, you talk about following Nick Saban. I mean, you know, hey, uh, hey, Troy and Tillamook, uh, Taylor Swift just sang a song. Now you get up there and karaoke. No way. <laughs> you know, like you know, Nick Saban. That's that's a guy who might be a top five coach in the history of college football. And Nick Saban is literally saying it's a young man's game. Uh, NIL transfer portal. He's signaling to people, hey, Alabama's still a great job. Alabama's probably going to win. It's in the SEC. They've got a strong fan base. The NIL collective's decent. But there are others out there, like Oregon, like Miami. There are others out there that are starting to erode the advantage that Nick Saban had for years and years and years and years. Stephen, what'd you make of the Dan Lanning interview? Yeah, I mean, the every time Lanning comes on and talks with you, John, it always seems so genuine, and he seems like he is a. I, I hate to even say put this out there. You know, he seems very truthful and seems like a good person. And it's hard to say those type of things when you talk about coaches because we see. You know, so many guys that aren't truthful and aren't necessarily good people out there in sports. And so it's hard. It's just one of those things where, for me, being a skeptic of, you know, a lot of things in life, it's hard for me to believe. But I will say Lanning has me believing that, like, he's not going to leave Oregon. And maybe that makes me naive and he's going to leave next season. But it really seems like he's telling the truth. And I'm with you on that, on the fact that he wants to build something in Oregon. I think he wants to be the Nick Saban of Oregon, the Kirby Smart of Oregon. Like he looks at what those schools are, and they were the ones that put them over the top. You know, Alabama was down. You know, they had, Obviously, the history of Alabama is great, but when Nick Saban got there, they weren't a very good team. And then Nick Saban builds it up, and they have a statue of him out inside of the stadium. Kirby Smart probably is doing the same thing over in Georgia. Like I think that's what Lanning wants. Lanning wants to have a statue of himself outside of the University of Oregon, outside of Austin Stadium. So I think Lanning, he's always done really good in the interviews. He's playing the media game really well right now. He's putting himself out there. He's doing McAfee. He's doing college game day. Uh, he's doing this. You know, He's out there and he's doing his thing. He's really running the game right now. I think he's doing a great job. And if you're a Duck fan, you got to be happy that it sounds like you have a young coach in his late 30s. That whether you know, he hasn't won the biggest games yet, but he's a great recruiter, elite recruiter, you got him locked in. It seems like he's not leaving for anywhere. He understands marketing, too. Let's Let's be real. There's part of me that I'm watching last night as the news is out there, and I'm like, why isn't Lanning coming out to refute it? Why isn't he doing it on social media or reaching out to me or some other media member going, hey, I want to shoot this down. I'm not leaving. You know, I get family time. I also think he probably was in contact with his recruits saying, hey, look, I'm not going anywhere. But, you know, maybe there's a reason. Maybe he was recruiting some Alabama guys, you know, the minute that Saban announces he's leaving, it's it's open season. Can we confirm on, there was a plane to Tuscaloosa or not? I If there was, Dan Lanning wasn't on it, and I knew that last night that he wasn't on it, but I didn't have it from a source that, you know, be, that I could go public with. I'm, I'm a little concerned that KVAL there in Eugene reported that with such enthusiasm and confidence. I, you know, unless you know if you don't know, you shouldn't be saying. Good show today. Good show yesterday. Stuff has been rich lately. Very rich. 
For those of you out there that want a podcast to this show, you can get it wherever you find a podcast. Just search for Bald Face Truth or John Canzano. You can get the podcast. Uh, loved having Dan Lanning, the Oregon coach, on the show. He was very good, interesting conversation. Uh, also, Adam Jew to the Seattle Times, who joined us in hour number one. Um, Greg Greer of CBS reporting that... Uh, that Kalen DeBoer has called for a team meeting that is starting right about now. Is it fake? There's a lot of people saying it's fake news. I don't know. I think people in Seattle are having a hard time pinning down what is going on with Kalen DeBoer. We'll try to get to the bottom of that this hour. I was in contact with Softy from KJR. He said uh, he's hearing everything under the sun. Doesn't know what to believe. He's got Kalen DeBoer scheduled for a 8 a.m interview tomorrow morning and as of two hours ago he confirmed but we know how things change see how that goes down Kalen DeBoer is he the target at Alabama everybody's nervous not it's hard to tell if guys are jockeying for raises or um, are they uh, are they in the business of trying to get um, leverage with their employer I don't know does Kalen DeBoer need any more leverage he just took Washington to the national title game. I think he has all the leverage in the world. And can I say that I'm frustrated with KVAL in Eugene? Like, look, I get it. Everybody is interested in trying to be first and report things that other people don't have. But an an- news anchor at KVAL in Eugene basically said that Dan Lanning is in Tuscaloosa hours after Nick Saban retired. And... You know, I previously worked in Alabama. I have sources there. I mean, he said all of that, basically confirming that landing's in Tuscaloosa. And here's what I'm going to say. Like, sometimes you'll get in a market like Eugene, you'll get a reporter who's starting out, and you get good reporters who are hungry. And and sometimes you get people who aren't sourced and want to be sourced. I don't know. I don't know what happened there. But if you don't know that somebody's in Tuscaloosa, like, know it. You don't say anything. Look at my Twitter feed from last night. I kind of knew Dan Lanning wasn't in Tuscaloosa. But I didn't have the tail number of the plane. I'm not going to stick my neck out there. I'm not. There are really good reporters at KVAL that have done great work. But that was a bad moment last night for that station in Eugene. Shouldn't have been. We're going to take one call. We'll go right to the 5 at 5. Sam in Portland. Sam, welcome. John. You know, I have to say this, and, you know, I'm, I'm a beaver believer, not a duck honk, but it's refreshing to see that Dan Lanning is staying. And like I said yesterday, if you don't hear anything 24 hours, he's probably gone. He came out in 24 hours. He reassured everybody. With all the things that are happening in the coaching searches and the way people are leaving and jobs and chasing money, uh, it's really refreshing to see this guy stay and to build a program. Who knows how long he'll be here probably three to five years, but, uh, you know, good for the Ducks, good for Dan Lanning, and good for the state and for coaching. And I think it's going to help him in in recruiting because athletes are going to say this guy's committed to Oregon as much as I am. So you're good for the Ducks. You won't ever hear me say that again, but uh, it's refreshing. Yeah, look, and and I think think it's okay to not be a partisan person and just kind of look and go, okay, it's nice to hear a college coach saying that they are committed to a university. 
I'll say this. Like, you know, look, I love this radio show. I love the commitment that the people who are on the show make to being here every day. Stephen, you do a fantastic job. Judah, a lot of behind-the-scenes people who give of themselves as it pertains to this radio show. I think, um, you know, I've come to appreciate being able to count on you guys, and I know that there are um, there are Oregon fans who have been burned and conditioned by Mario Cristobal, Willie Taggart, and ultimately Chip Kelly, who left for the NFL, to believe that, you know, coach all coaches will leave, will eventually ditch you, and I don't blame people who, you know, judge others on their actions and say, hey, you know, you're in an industry that has no loyalty, very little loyalty. Dan Lanning coming on the show today saying, hey, I'm not like those other guys without naming those other guys. Let's go to the five at five. We got five great stories as selected by the great Stephen Vaughn. The five at five. Is this going to be the best five at five ever? Number one. There you go, Stephen. You have the floor. Well, the Duck fans, it might be because Dan Lanning is staying at Oregon. That is the number one story of the day after Nick Saban retires. Yesterday, Dan Lanning right away became the betting favorite to be the next head coach at Alabama. But Lanning has said that he is not going to be going to Alabama. He was never on a plane to Tuscaloosa. He was at home with his kids. Uh, he just joined you right here on the Ball Face Juice. Go check out that podcast and listen to Dan Lanning talk about it. But Lanning says he loves Oregon. He's staying at Oregon. He's not going down. Alabama. Yeah, Dan Lanning uh, making it clear that he's committed to Oregon. I like the interview. I didn't love that he let it linger overnight and wait till 9 a.m. in the morning, but I get it. You know, what Oregon probably was doing was saying, hey, we can maximize this. Dan Lanning can wait till 9. We can boost our socials. We can put out a video, get him on the Pat McAfee show, then, you know, have him do some other interviews. I get it. You know, I, I'm not going to judge. But I think we're at the point where you either have to believe he's staying or not, and I don't think he should have to come out after every job and say, "I'm on it or not on it." I don't. I. I just. I don't think you should have to do that over and over and over again. And I think we're kind of at the point where you have to decide you're going to believe him or not. I wrote it at johnconzano.com. I believe him. I, also, I think it's time we we all should. I also think that this is the job, right? Like he, he, we've talked about how he doesn't have a you know an all modern to go to. Kind of got. He's even said uh, today, Nick Saban's the goat of coaching. So like, it would have made sense. Like, oh, Alabama, I get to follow my my mentor, Nick Saban, and Kirby Smart. There, I think it's Alabama, Georgia were the only jobs really that was concerning for me. And so I feel like for me, like I wanted to hear him say it. So I'm glad he did. It took him a little bit longer than I would like, like you said. But I think he's good now. I think he's good. We don't have to listen to it anymore. But this was a scary one. I thought I thought this was a job that he could have left for, but uh, he made it clear he loves Oregon. Moving on. Number two. Well, maybe the GOAT coach in the NFL is Bill Belichick. He is out as the Patriots head coach after 24 years, six titles. It's a mutual decision to split up between Belichick and owner Robert Kraft. They made that decision yesterday. It was announced today. Uh, Kraft said, this is a move that we mutually agreed that is needed at the time. What Bill accomplished, in my opinion, will never be duplicated, duplicated Belichick. He's 71 years old, John. He leaves New England. 333 career victories, which includes the playoffs. That ranks him second all-time behind Don Shula, who has 347. So he's still in play for the most career victories as a head coach. Uh, Belichick's 24-year tenure with the Patriots is the fifth longest of any head coach with one team. 
He had completed his 49th consecutive NFL season this past year of being in the league, which is the most consecutive seasons of anybody coaching in the NFL. So he's still looking to make it 50, though, next season, as he still says he is interested and maybe looking for a job next season to make it 50 consecutive years in the NFL. Bill Belichick survived in a league that is not built for survival, for coaches, for players. Here he is talking about it. You know, there's so many memories of the fans, the, the send-offs, um, the parades, um, the Sundays, you know, whatever the, whatever the situations are, um, the letters of support, uh, the, you know, seeing the fans, you know, away from here, you know, at a gas station or a grocery store, or, you know, where you bump into them, uh, Patriot fans here, and not just in New England, but uh, they extend nationally and even internationally uh, as I've traveled. Uh, it's amazing how far the... The arm reaches. We saw that this year in, in Germany. So, uh, so appreciative of the fans for all the support they've given me, uh, my family, uh, and this football team. And uh, it's with um, just so many fond memories and, and uh, thoughts that I, you know, think about the Patriots and, and I'll always be a Patriot. I look forward to coming back here. Uh, but at this time, uh, you know, we're gonna we're gonna move on, and uh, I look forward and excited for the future. Uh, but. Always very, very appreciative of the opportunity here, the support here, uh, and, you know, the what, Robert, what you've done for me. Thank you. I want more of that Bill Belichick. You know, we've heard the other Bill Belichick over the years. I think it would be really interesting to have more of that guy. Um, could hear his voice cracking, some emotion there. About as much as you're going to get from Bill Belichick. But, again, you go back to what this league is. You look at the average duration of a career – the uh, turnover of head coaches. Uh, this The NFL is not built for longevity. And so you have to pay attention when a player or a coach has it and ask yourself what happened there. The marriage of Belichick and Brady certainly played a role in that. Robert Kraft, the success of the Patriots. Um, I, I don't know. If you're Belichick, do you risk tarnishing that? Like it's, the, the shine's off it already a little bit because he didn't have success after Brady left. Do you risk going out, going to another franchise, trying to win, and maybe face planting? Because, you know, before he came to New England, there was, you know, the Jets and Cleveland. You know, it wasn't Bill Belichick, Pro Football Hall of Fame coach, until the Patriots thing happened. I think, here's the thing with Belichick. We talk about these these coaches. Man, he is a coach. And the fact that he doesn't have to deal with a lot of, you know, the NIL stuff with college, I think he's be, I think he'll be back. And I think he wants to prove that it wasn't just Brady and that he can win without Brady. Whether that's a Super Bowl or not, I think he does want to prove, like, I can still do it. The game hasn't changed too much. Um, you, know, you always want to go out on top, and so I think the fact that the Patriots have struggled the last couple of years, I think it's probably going to rub him the wrong way. And Just being such a competitor that he is, Belichick, I think, I think it's good that he wants to come back, and it'll be good for the game of football because I think he can still coach. He can still coach the defensive side. He's just got to, you know, figure out uh, some other people to help him on the offensive side because he struggles getting those offensive players. Yeah, because guys don't want to play for him, don't want to play in his system. Number three. What do you got? Well, the uh, heir apparent to Bill Belichick looks like it's going to be Gerard Mayo, the successor for Bill Belichick in New England, according to multiple reports, including Ian Rappaport, the NFL Network. Mayo uh, will be the next coach for New England. He's already on the Patriots staff in an unnamed position. Now, the thing about this is, if the, he is hired as the head coach, John, they don't have to go through the hiring process. They don't have to do a bunch of just interviews. Promoting him. They can just promote him from within. Uh, and that was a big thing is because 
before Belichick was hired by the Patriots or traded for by the Patriots, the Rooney rule wasn't even in effect. A lot of the coaching rules that they have in the NFL were not in effect, so now the Patriots still don't have to deal with it. Um, but Gerard Mayo looks like he's going to be the guy. Mayo was a first-round pick of the Patriots back in 2008, played all eight years with New England, became a coach in 2019. But Gerard Mayo looks like he will be the next head coach of the New England Patriots. Super Bowl champion, uh, defensive rookie of the year, two Pro Bowls, really good player, drafted by the Patriots, 10th overall in 2008. Uh, looks like, yeah, he will get an opportunity. Number four. He got an appeal by uh, Mel Tucker, the former Michigan State football coach, of findings in the sexual misconduct case that led to his firing with Brenda Tracy has been denied. An attorney hired by East Land, by uh, Michigan State has an equity review officer said in decision. He said yesterday that Tucker failed to provide information that, that proved error or bias. Tucker told investigators that he had consen- consensual phone sex with Brenda Tracy. Of course, Tracy, she's known for her work with college teams, uh, educating them about sexual violence. Michigan State had paid her $10,000 to share her story with the football team. Then she filed a complaint with the school in 2022, saying Tucker harassed her during a phone call back in April. Um, A resolution officer concluded in October that Tucker engaged in behavior that violated the school's relationship, violence, and sexual misconduct in Title IX policy by sexually harassing Mm. and sexually exploiting Tracy. Uh, But it was his... uh, It uh, has been denied of of an appeal. Tracy tweeted out today... It's been a 13-month-long nightmare. Tucker was found responsible for sexual harassment, exploitation, and today his appeal was denied. Looks like uh, Mel Tucker may be uh, out of work for a while. Yeah, he's out of work, and you know he's probably still seeking a settlement. He'd like to get that $80 million back. Um, you look, I'm familiar with Brenda Tracy. She's frequently been on this show. I've written about her. I have talked with her a, a couple of times in the last uh, few months. And I got to say, it it wasn't easy for her. And I'll let her speak to that when she's ready to speak. But I could hear in her voice, she felt attacked. There were football fans coming at her. There were Michigan State fans coming at her, trying to make her life and her existence. I'm sure Mel Tucker's legal team make her life and her existence a living hell. Like to, to try to force her or bully her into walking back what happened and for anybody who i think has ever made an accusation that is on the level of brenda tracy and the things that have happened to her in her life uh would know that it's not something you would choose um i'm glad she's vindicated here i'm i am disappointed with the football fans at michigan state the community at michigan state and frankly the fact that her name got leaked by somebody on the michigan state board of trustees i expect her brenda tracy is the one who's due a settlement, not Mel Tucker. Number five. What do you got? This is a weird one, John. ESPN, uh, they had to return at least 37 sports Emmys after the award show administrators (laughs) found (laughs) that the network used fake names in Emmy entries, according to a report to The Athletic. Uh, So ESPN, they had this scheme, and they've done it since 2010. They would submit names of fake individuals with the same initials as their stars under the guise of associate producers and then they re-engrave the statues and then deliver them to their on-air personalities oh. uh the the emmys that are in question were awards for their on-air talent because they were ineligible to win those um so the, according to the report some of the network's biggest names kirk herbstreit louis corso chris fowler all college game day people other people you know they received awards 
as the hosts were not eligibly honored for a Best Show Award until 2023. Yeah, they're trying to get trophies. It's a it's a participation trophy yeah, for so, the game day crew. So former ESPN reporter Shelly Smith, she was one of them. She said it was really crummy what they did to me. Um, the report also said there's no evidence that the on-air talent actually knew that this was going on. Yeah, so, they just wanted to get them a statue. Yeah, so it wasn't like they were in on it or anything like that, but uh, ESPN, they uh, faking people's names. Getting uh, their people some uh, some awards, like you said, participation awards. Some of the uh, the names that they used were pretty funny. Uh, Lee Corso, the fake name was Lee Clark. Kirk yeah. Kerbstreit, Kirk Henry, Chris Fowler, Chris Fulton, and so on. Dirk Howard for Desmond Howard. So the same uh, same initials, but just different people. They all got fake Emmys. Had to return them. Yeah, because when in, here's a little backstory on it. The National Academy of Television Arts and Sciences and Sciences oversees the Emmys. And so, but what they have is they have rules. And so, like, game day could be could be nominated for best show, okay? But the hosts themselves are not eligible to actually win the award. Like, ESPN and the producers would be the ones who win the award. The on-air talent is not going to get a trophy, an Emmy Award, with their name on it. So what ESPN's trying to do here is they're, they're saying, hey, we want to be able to hand a trophy to Lee Corso and Kirk Herbstreit and Chris Fowler and Desmond Howard and Tom Rinaldi, Samantha Ponder, and we want them to get these awards. So we're going to put fake names on the entry. And you have to pay to enter the fake names, but the, those people, Lee Clark for Lee Corso, as you mentioned, Kirk Henry for Kirk Herbstreit, Chris Fulton for Chris Fowler, Dirk Howard for Desmond Howard, and Tom Tim Richard for Tom Rinaldi, were entered as associate producers, so then, you know, the National Academy of Television and Science then gives, uh, Television Arts and Sciences then gives the Emmys to ESPN with all those names on them, and ESPN takes the placard off and puts a new one on. That's ridiculous. You're not supposed to be able to do that. It's so vain, and it's a fake everybody-gets-a-trophy participation scheme that just should not have been. So you want me to uh, re re-unsubmit the uh, Jeff Canzano award that I tried to interview for? Yeah, but that would flag. Like, here's how, here's the funny thing. Like, it's not funny, but you're trying to pull one over on the National Academy of Television Arts and Sciences. They oversee the Emmys. They're essentially television journalists. So you know what happened? Somebody saw Desmond Howard. Tom Rinaldi, Kirk Herbstreet, somebody tweeted a photo, look at my Emmy Awards. And somebody went, they didn't win Emmys, and looked it up. Egos. It's all about ego. Aaron Andrews might have received an Emmy through the scheme as well. You know, that she has a photo of an Emmy statue. And Eric Andrews, by the way, was a name that was on the credit list. ESPN's got to return the trophies. They get banned for one year. It's just a weird story, man. Like I, I, It's vanity. It is. Ego. I want to win an award, damn it. It kind of describes ESPN perfectly, I feel like. but and, it, and it's a slap in the face to the producers and the associate producers who are actually eligible for those awards. Because, you know, now ESPN's got a one-year ban and those hardworking behind-the-scenes people cannot get an Emmy. It's it's terrible. And, you know, Anna's got a couple of Emmys. 
And, you know, when they submit those those uh, award nominations or entries, everybody who's named the photographer, the producers, the person who's on air, some of the on-air talent is eligible in certain categories, but not for best show. Best show goes to a production team. You know, it's not like, hey, you had the best story. You know, Kirk Herbstreit, you had a best story. So the ESPN was clearly trying to get Emmys for its star personalities and then boost the profile, and it's just such a little vanity thing. Why don't they just create fake Emmy trophies and hand them out? They already have the ESPYs. I mean, they already made up their own fake award show. So, like, why don't they just give them give them all ESPYs for best show? It just feels really weird. You know what? Uh, we'll give out the Baldy Awards coming up next. Mm, oh, yeah. Wait. I'm going to give out Baldies coming up next. Who wins a Baldy? Who's the best coach? Who was the best performance last year? The Baldy Awards. Impromptu. Next. This show has high standards, sky-high standards when it comes to uh, handing out awards. We are not like ESPN. Uh, by the way, isn't it true that, you know, ESPN, it's ego, it's more marketing and sizzle than it is substance? Um, you know, we can go back in the day and we can talk about how ESPN sort of changed the way that people watched games and what they valued. Um, you know, dunks and home runs got played on ESPN over the years and catchphrases. And uh, over time, uh, the attention span, I think, of sports fans was affected by what ESPN was doing. And I think it's part of what has ruined sports in general and spoiled it. I shouldn't say ruined. I say it's, it's part of what spoils sports in general, and particularly collegiate sports. I think also that uh, I think you have to you have to look at what is going on with ESPN as it pertains to media rights. They own seventeen college bowl games. During those bowl games, they tell you over and over what they think is important. They have a media rights deal with the SEC. What do they do all season long on game day in their shoulder programming shows? ESPN tells us, no, 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 what you think is important is not important. What's important is the SEC. What's important is what we say about the college football playoff rankings. The SEC and ESPN are in cahoots. Jaden Daniels Heisman, he should have said, hey, assist to, uh, to, to SportsCenter and game day. And to the producer, you should have thanked ESPN. When he was receiving the award, they helped bang the drum and create the narrative and the propaganda that propped him up as the Heisman winner. And maybe the award itself, you know, needs a revamp. Maybe you need to talk about who should be voting in it and who shouldn't. I have a vote. Maybe I shouldn't have a vote. Maybe others shouldn't have a vote. Maybe there should be a panel of 12 college coaches who get to vote and say who's the Heisman winner. I don't know. But ESPN is in a position where it is playing Kingmaker along with Fox. And ESPN used to be a good show. It used to be a good network, and it had good journalists, and it had hard-hitting and outside the lines, and it had um, you know good journalists who were doing reporting, and Game Day was a great show, and it has since turned into a three-ring circus, and it's about attention and eyeballs and less about substance and more about sizzle. But I'm going to go substance on you. Every year, for the last 17 years, we have given out our Baldy Awards. Not really. 
We used to do it. In fact, here's the benchmark when we used to do it. All right, ready? Listen to it. One, two, three, four. Who's today's recipient of the Baldy Award? The unpleasant noise you are about to hear coming from your radio is not a mistake. And what the hell is a Baldy anyway? Okay, settle down, Spaz. Here's the bald one, John Canzato, with today's winner. That's how we used to do it every day. And we'd announce today's winner of the Baldy Award. And Chip Kelly told me once upon a time that he happened to be listening in his car and he got a Baldy Award. And he reached out to me and he said, do you send it to me? Does it come in the mail? Can I put it on my shelf? And I sent him a bobblehead doll, a John Canzano bobblehead doll that, you know, you can find him at your local Goodwill, along with those Jonathan Smith uh, shirts and jackets from Oregon State. Um, And I said, no, unfortunately, we don't have an actual award because this award, damn it, is not about ego and it's not about holding up a shiny trophy and faking your name as ESPN did in the Emmy Awards to try to win an award. No, the Baldy Awards are real actual awards. And so what we're going to do here in this segment is we're going to give away some actual Baldy Awards. And I'm going to start with uh, giving away our Baldy Award for the best coaching performance. It's Notice it's not Coach of the Year. It's coaching performance. And the winner is... Jed Fish, Arizona football coach. Jed Fish took an Arizona program that wasn't worth a damn and within two seasons made him worth a damn and won 10 games. His team showed up for the bowl game. His team showed up damn near every week of the season. Played Washington tough within one score, as a lot of teams did. But Jed Fish's Arizona team just kept winning and winning and winning. Apologies to Kalen DeBoer, but there's no runner-up. There's no co-Baldy Award. We don't do that with the Baldy Awards. Jed Fish wins our Best Coaching Performance Award because he was the best coaching performance guy. And, you know, Kalen DeBoer had more talent. Dan Lanning had more resources. Jed Fish just won. He won 10 games at a place that hadn't won 10 games in a long time. Jed Fish, Arizona, send him his Baldy Award. There it goes. We just sent it to Jed Fish. Second award, Player of the Year. And I look at the fine print. It says, the individual or player who had the best damn year gets the Baldy Award. Our Player of the Year for the Baldy Award is one Michael Penix Jr. Should have won the Heisman. Instead, he gets the Baldy. I hope Michael Penix Jr. is happy having the Baldy Award instead of the Heisman. There's no pose for the Baldy Award. Penix can just point to his dome and say, you know, it's right here. That's the Baldy Award. Our Baldy Award for franchise to watch. Do you know what that means, Stephen? Franchise to watch, or what would you think it would mean? Um, I would say a, a team on the rise that maybe wasn't great last year but is going to be good this next season. Yeah, you got it. They capture the enthusiasm and momentum, and we got to say, hey, in 2024, we're really going to watch this franchise and we're going to see what they do the franchise to watch in our footprint is going to be oregon state and not because oregon state has all this hope and all this uh you know nil collective it, it doesn't it oregon state is dealing with a lot of anxiety oregon state is dealing with a lot of apprehension they're dealing with uncertainty after jonathan smith ditched them but oregon state i think you know is well positioned with the schedule that they have and some of the recruiting wins that uh, Coach Trent Bray has registered. I like his staff. 
Keith Hayward in particular on the defensive side, and certainly Ryan Gunderson, the offensive coordinator at Oregon State. I like those guys. I think they're going to do good things. I think you got to watch them. you got to at least keep one eye on Oregon State this season. You know, while we're watching Oregon, while we're watching Washington, I think the, the franchise to watch is Oregon State, in particular Oregon State football. Our Baldy Award for most overrated. You know what that would be, Stephen? I do, yes. Okay. Do I have to explain it? I think we I think we get an overrated one. All right. I'm going to say this. It's not going to be a popular one. I'm going to put Coach Prime in Deion Sanders. We're going to call him Deion Sanders because that's his name. I think it overrated. A lot of hype entering the season. I'm not saying, you know, he could also win the award for most enthusiasm garnered by a coach, you know, taking over a uh, dismal program, but that's not the award. It's most overrated. Deion Sanders in Colorado went from being a non-factor to selling out season tickets to being 3-0 and heading into Pac-12 play and ranked, and people talking about can they win the national championship, to a program that just didn't deliver down the stretch. And you look at Colorado football, um, they ended up, you know, as uh, as people may have noted, having the same record as they did the year before in conference play. It's Colorado football most overrated, not to say that Coach Prime isn't going to turn it around again next year and, you know, win games. You know, he's he's uh, got players coming back and certainly, uh, you know, Shador Sanders out recruiting players after Nick Saban announced that he was going. But I'm going to go most overrated. I'm going Colorado. Do you disagree, agree with, with my assessment here? Notice I haven't given Bo Nix an award. Dan Lanning hasn't won an award. The Blazers are nowhere to be seen in the Baldies right now. Um, you know, I, I could have gone with the Blazers as most overrated, but the hopes for the Blazers this season were were very muted. Steven? Uh, the only award that I thought the Blazers had a chance to win, and you have to look at it this way, was uh, Coach of the Year with Chauncey because they were trying to lose, and he did a really good job of losing. <laughs> they got the third pick of the I'm draft. I'm not done yet. I'm not done. <laughs> oh, okay. They, well, they still might get one. But okay. do you disagree with anything I've uh, The only one I would disagree is with uh, Coach of the Year. I'd go Kalen DeBoer. I think uh, I'd put him over Jed Fish. And I think it's just because... The way that this season went about, and you know, I was uh, fully on board with the Ducks beating Washington in the Pac-12 title game, and Washington came out and just from the get-go, they proved to be the better team. So I would give DeBoer uh, that win over Jed Fish. But uh, besides that, you know what? I think uh, I think that sounds about right. I'm going to go my unsung hero award. Unsung hero being somebody who doesn't get the limelight, isn't recognized widely, uh, probably flies a little under the radar. Can we give a nod right now, just a little bit of a nod, to Scott Ruick, the Oregon State women's basketball coach? All Oregon State has done this season is win games when everybody said, you know, maybe it's maybe it's the windows closed for Ruick. Maybe um, maybe they're not uh, and they're not what they used to be. Um, you know, you talk about a program that is sitting at twelve and three. This season, they lost to UCLA on Sunday, but UCLA is undefeated. They're the number two team in the country. Um, you know, Scott Ruick's three losses come to UCLA, come to USC by two points. And, you know, frankly, as I look at his season, I'm going, you know, this is a team that, that you know, everybody had sort of written off after last year and said, you know, maybe they're not going to matter. Maybe they've lost it. Uh, you know, those things are being said about Oregon. And I think Kelly Graves has got to really come back next season and have a good season, but they're no longer being said about Oregon State as Oregon State 
um, you know, is in conference play now. And, you know, they lost to USC, lost to UCLA, but that's number two team, number nine team in the country. Scott Ruick, Unsung Hero, Baldy Award. Send him the award. Get it over to him. All right. The Biggest Loser Award. Oh, yeah, we got one of those. Let's dig it up here. Let's rummage around. All right, we got it out. Uh, I'm going to go with Jody Allen and Burt Cold. Jody Allen and Burt Cold. Uh, Jody's the trustee of her brother's estate. I think she's dropped the ball with it. And Burt Cold, the vice chair of the uh, Portland Trailblazers, and certainly a guy involved with the Seahawks now. You can see his fingerprints on uh, the last couple of days of Seahawks activity. Jody Allen, Burt Cold getting the co-loser of the year awards. And until they re- release the stranglehold on the Trailblazers organization and the Seahawks organization, they may be a chance to, they may have a chance to retire this trophy. Win it three years in a row, guys. You won it last year. You win it this year. Win it three years in a row and look out. It's the Burt Cold Jody Allen loser of the year award. <laughs> and uh, the winner is Burt Cold and Jody Allen. <laughs> so that's how that goes. All right. I want you to tell me, you you have a Baldy Award that you would give out. Who would you give it to? Dream it up, just like I did in this segment. 503-417-7575. Your turn. I can go all day giving out Baldy Awards. I really can. I want yours. 503-417-7575. You tell me, which team should win Team of the Year? Which coach should win Best coaching performance. I said Jed Fish, Arizona. Steven said Kalen DeBoer, Washington. Do you have a nominee? It doesn't have to be in the Pac-12 either. You could say it was, uh, uh, you know, it was the Wilford Brimley in, in the natural, you know. If you want to give out your best coaching award, you can do it. There's no wrong answer here. You might argue with me and say, no, 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 no. You know, the best coaching job was Eric Spolstra with the Miami Heat. I, You know, you tell me. Mike Malone with the Denver Nuggets. I don't know, Steve Kerr, Bill Belichick, Nick Saban. Was it Jim Harbaugh? Best coaching performance in the last year, one year ago to today, 503-417-7575. Every year on January the 11th, we do the Baldy Awards. Steven, do you have a Baldy that you want to give out? Uh, yeah, I was going to do uh, biggest underperformers of the season. Okay, um, I like that one. And it it goes to USC. Remember, oh, yeah. remember how good they were at the start of the season, and there was national people saying, "Oh, th- this is a different defense this year," because we saw the year before it was all about right. forcing turnovers. Th- this is a tougher defense. Th- this is a team that's going to tackle. Well, you know what? It was even worse than the season before, and then the season turned terrible. And uh, what they lose the last five games of the season ended up seven and five. It was so underwhelming and so underperforming. They were the favorites in the Pac-12. Everyone thought they were going to be uh, right up there again, and it's just—it's something that I didn't necessarily. I, you know, I knew the defense wasn't good, but I didn't expect them to be this bad. So uh, I'm going to give my underperforming team of the year to USC. I also think I wouldn't argue with that. That's a good one. Underperforming team of the year, USC. I think Oregon State football could be in that a little bit as well because I felt like there was some uh, fade there, but. I would also nominate Washington State. They got off to that great 4-0 start, very similar to USC, and they just went in the tank. I and I it made no sense to me. Like were they was it a distraction? Jake Dickert, coach at Washington State, was he, you know, was he um struggling at all to, you know, 
deal with life after um, you know leaving the conference? Was it too emotional? I don't know. Because I kept looking at that and I kept thinking to myself, you know, are they really, are they having an issue as it pertains to, uh, uh, you know, their season? Is it, an emo- is it a psychological thing? Did people know he had applied for the job? Um, our frequent flyer award, Baldy Award, I, I, I was tempted to give it to DJ Uyunglele, who transferred in from Clemson, went to Oregon State, now is transferred out, he's going to Florida State. But I'm instead going to give it to Jonathan Smith, who jumped on a plane and left Oregon State for Michigan State. Frequent flyer Baldy Award to one Jonathan Smith. That's an upset right there, upset. Yeah. It, you know, a lot of people it, on the board, I looked up, he was 7-1. to one. Should have bet it. Um, hey, by the way, I saw an interesting gambling story. Can I can I just go sideways here for a second? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, I saw an interesting gambling story. It had to do with lines that were incorrect. You know, when you um, when you have uh, uh, when you have the uh, line when you look at a uh, betting line and you know that there's been a mistake made by the casino or the online sports book, so to speak. Um, have you ever encountered anything like that where you looked at something, Stephen, and you were like, "The there's a mistake here," like an over under on Damian Lillard points, and it's mistakenly set at like nine points, and you know that that is an error when it comes to the sports book. Have you ever encountered something like that? I have seen one. Um, it was years ago. It was on an offshore account when I first started gambling. It was a live betting market. I was just looking at the baseball games in a live betting market, and. It was the Mets. I forget who they're playing, but the Mets were up like three nothing in the game, and they were plus like seven hundred, which it, it, that's not even that shouldn't even be like the the opening pitch. It shouldn't be that big for any team. Like that, no team's ever that big of an underdog. But it, that's what they were, and I thought that was a little weird. So I had to go check the score, and it was right. Like they just made a mistake on the site. But uh, that's really the only one that I've ever encountered. In October, right before the NBA season was tipping off. There was a rumor that was spread. DraftKings had made a mistake. The Lakers were playing the Nuggets, and the over-under line on player points, rebounds, assists, and other stats were all wrong on the DraftKings online app. Nikola Jokic, was his over-under at points was at 9.5. Guy averages like 26 a game last year. LeBron was set at 8.5. Um... A bunch of bettors saw it and realized that DraftKings had made a mistake, and really it was the it was the first quarter lines that were presented as the game over under lines, meaning you know that nine and a half or eight and a half was set for a quarter, and everybody saw it, of course, across multiple states, and people started betting it. Michael Porter Jr.'s over under for points was five and a half. Okay, so a bunch of people put parlays on and the parlays came in in the in the second and third quarter like people won $150,000 they were betting like $500 seven leg parlays on the game getting 150 to 1 odds and so hundreds of bets before DraftKings caught the mistake it took 13 minutes for DraftKings to catch that they had a mistake they noticed a spike in the wagering and they fixed it they went oh crap look we made a mistake Now, according to DraftKings, a mistake by a third-party odds provider caused those over-unders for the first quarter to get uploaded into the market for the full game. 
So LeBron James' points against the Nuggets for the game was 23.5, but DraftKings had it at 8.5. So between 4.22 p.m. and 4.35 p.m. on this October day, uh, in the state of Massachusetts, 178 bets got put in. The amount bet was about $4,000 total. The potential win total was $575,000, okay? In New Jersey, they took 213 winning wagers in those 13 minutes with the bad lines. In Connecticut, they took 80 bets with a payout of $151,000. In 18 other states, DraftKings was allowed, after the fact, to void all bets on erroneous odds. New Jersey and Connecticut were the only jurisdictions that forced the sports books to pay up. DraftKings will not say how much they lost, but the people believe it's it's uh, high six figures. What do you think should happen when a sports book like DraftKings makes an error like that? Well, I think that they should pay it out. Um, that has to be caught if you are putting out a line and you're allowing a bet and it says bet submitted. That they take the money out of your account. I, I think that's a fair bet. Um, and I think that's on the it's on the sports books to know that. So, and I know that they're going to argue that there's house rules and you're supposed to know all the house rules, but I just think that's a load of BS that they can get out of that bet. So I I think because if it went the other way, like if you made that bet and it lost, like let's say LeBron got hurt and he scored six points in the game and that's and he goes under and he went over eight and a half points, they're going to take your money. They're not going to refund your money back. So I think uh, in this situation that they should have had to pay that out, and they need to be more uh, responsible with what they're doing with their lines, whether whoever's putting their lines out needs to be on top of it. I think if there's a mistake in their favor, they're not going to come back and say, you know, hey, we had a glitch, we're going to give you your money back. In 2019, it happened in FanDuel. You know, FanDuel does their in-game odds, and the Broncos were a minus 600 favorite over the Raiders. The Raiders were a 751-to-1 long shot in the fourth quarter. But all of a sudden... Um, the Broncos line flipped and became the Raiders line. All of a sudden, here were the Broncos. They had a game-winning chip shot for a field goal to win the game, and they were still showing as a 750-1 to long shot. And a bunch of bettors jumped on it, and of course what happened is you know, the sportsbook was able to go to the Gaming Commission and go, hey, we made a mistake, and the Gaming Commission voided the bets. You shouldn't be able to do that. Like, if you make a mistake, if you're sloppy, like I have to deal with a mistake, right? I you know, you you have there's a consequence to your mistake in the real world. Except when it comes to wagering. And so I think it's really interesting. I'm going to look into the gaming commission in the state of Oregon. And I'm going to ask what they would do when it comes to a mistake by DraftKings and an error by DraftKings, you know, and you know, it's why are you canceling the bets of people when you make the mistake? That's on you. I think they should have to honor it. Bookmakers, betters, little competition there. But apparently, you know, like if, you, if it happens at a casino, you get paid. I've been at a roulette table. I've been at a blackjack table where the the dealer made a mistake, and the pit boss comes over and says, "It's our mistake. Pay him." And you know, it's a it's a mistake that is made in your favor. They're going to pay you. But it, when it happens online, it is very easy. For the sports book to go to the gaming commission and go, hey, we had an error, it's out of our control, read the fine print. But I just found it interesting that certain states were like the gaming commission would, and other states were like, no, we're gonna err, we're gonna side with 
with uh, FanDuel or DraftKings or whoever the the uh, the, ha- the you know the betting company is, I think you should have to honor that because there's a definite conflict of interest with you know the state getting revenue from their gambling partner. But you know DraftKings was able to void those bets. It was a 13 minute stretch in October, and I didn't happen to look at it. I didn't see it. But the Lakers and the Nuggets game had the lines all wrong. Yeah, if anyone finds those, uh, feel free to slide my DMs uh, <laughs> at Steven underscore VON well, on Twitter and let me know so I can uh, do a mortgage bet on them. Yeah, you know, like, you know, you would have bet whatever your limit is. Oh, 100%, yeah. And you would have played like a you would have played like a five-leg parlay, a seven-leg parlay, take LeBron, take Nikola Jokic, take Michael Porter. You would have taken every no-brainer that was there, and in the third quarter you would have been high-fiving. Cashing out. Cashing out. All right, we've got a great show tomorrow planned, a great Friday show. Grab a podcast. Dan Lanning was on the show today. Adam Jude was on the show today. Uh, tomorrow we'll talk about what's next for Kalen DeBoer.